wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you have chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks out there using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We got your back. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes, helping you get through. DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free, thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace. Squarespace! And Linode, they made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. And I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who can eat 13 blazing Hot Cheese Curds, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. And because it is now legally declared to be uh, public use, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Jeff Kanada. Uh, it's my birthday today. It's, yeah, it doesn't mean we're not, we're taking the day off. We're still got games to talk about uh, just because it's my birthday. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks also, for hanging out. Um, for people that don't know, Jeff Kanada's got a pair of pipes on him, like real pipes, not just bumper music pipes. And also, um, when paired with one of his college, lifelong college or high school friends, can do a karaoke duet like nobody's business that is on key, on point, and also on dance moves. Incredible. Yeah, we had a little party this weekend, and we had a live band karaoke, which like was a dream come true. I mean, it's fun to do in karaoke. If you're into karaoke, it's fun doing karaoke. But having a live band back you up where you can like turn to them and like – do the thing that rock stars do where they like, you know, the, the, the band will like crash when you put your arm down, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm the coolest guy in the world. So that was like my dream come true. That was my wife got me that for my birthday. So that was my, and you killed it. It was awesome. Oh, thanks. Um, I am, I am very excited. We could talk, uh, birthday stuff all day, but we got games to talk about (laughs) and I'm excited because we have an awesome guest. This is a guy I've admired for a long time. Uh, you know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata. And you're downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm thrilled because DLC stands for driving the latest cars. Because we have the editor-in-chief of the new show all about transportation called Roadshow. And editor-at-large from CNET, one of my favorite internet voices, Mr. Tim Stevens. Hello, Tim. Hello, and happy belated birthday. Thank you very, very much. Now, today is actually, today is the day. Today is Oh, today? Well, no, gosh, then happy, honest birthday. Yeah, no, no uh, belated necessary. Um... I'm such a fan of you and what you do and your coverage of tech, and now you have started a new show recently all about uh, the tech that's inside automobiles. I know you're passionate about driving, uh, and the show is awesome. Yeah, man, thanks. Uh, I have always loved cars since I was a kid, and I've always loved tech when I was, since I was a kid. And you know, I kind of got my break in journalism on the tech side of things, and and in gaming as well. So that's it's kind of great that I'm here talking about that. But uh, but yeah, to be able to uh, evolve that a little bit and talk a little bit more about uh, automotive technology and cars and all the great stuff um, that's going on on four wheels or two wheels or some number of wheels in between. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting, and so uh, it's it's a great property. I'm real happy to be there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fun show. People should check it out. Um, it's called Road Show again. Um, and uh, t- I met Tim this year at uh, CES, and we got talking about video games. So I've been wanting to have him on the show for a while. So I'm really glad he's here. But we do need to start the show. Is, wait, hold on. Is what? this your first time, Tim? It on is show? my first time. Yeah. yeah. 
Wow. Uh, not, for some reason, I feel like I know you're you. here every time, Christian. You know that, right? <laughs> I, but I, you know, you like you know someone for so long, and you you chat with them on the internet in so many other ways. This is I'm so glad I was just chatting with him before you joined the the stream, Jeff, and I was just like you know, shooting the wind. Like, you know, we've talked every day for the last 10 years. I'm so, I'm even more excited now. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> about you, your birthday. Internet friendships. You can be friends with somebody without actually really. <laughs> yeah. I've seen and heard well. you for years. I, I know just, all about it. I'm glad we're all caught up now. This is Hopefully great. you guys aren't making any assumptions about my knowledge of how things go, but we'll all do my best. <laughs> no, it's well. fine. We'll be fine. We're going to start the show uh, with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag, which is DLCSOTW on the Twitters, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Awesome folks there. In fact, Christian, you know, I, one of the things I didn't mention at the top of the show is uh, Christian and I spent the week inside of Buffalo Wild Wings streaming uh, for the new Mountain Dew Twitch channel. They hired us on to uh, to do that, and we were giving away lots of stuff. You know, a lot of the people that got some of the giveaways that we gave out went to our subreddit and then passed them along and gave them to more more appreciative people. I thought that was pretty neat. That is neat, and I did. In the middle of it, I ate 13 hot cheese curds, as you mentioned, and uh, <laughs> I pulled that away. If people want, you know, the stuff is still archived on the MTNDEW channel. Fun stuff. We talked to some great people. But if you want to see just the cheese curd action, I highlighted that. It's on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713. It's actually from two angles because someone else filmed it from uh, from the side to see the sweat. It's worth watching. He He's in pain. Um, I am in pain. But, Tim, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories for Story of the Week. So what is your Story of the Week? Well, I hate to be predictable, but I think it's got to be all this Nintendo – NX talk, you know, kind of um, spawned out of this Eurosport, uh, excuse me, Eurogamer uh, exclusive seems like talking about details of it being sort of a hybrid portable console, a next generation combination of Wii U and uh, 3DS and everything else. Yeah, uh, I, you know, you know, faithful listeners of this show will uh, remember that I predicted something very similar to this. (laughs) I let Christian know all week, like I kind of nailed it. Um, but yeah, we don't know. This is not confirmed, but it looks like pretty reliable sources that the Nintendo NX is going to be some sort of tablet-esque screen with controllers on the side that detach, and uh, you can have two players, one with each of those two controllers on each of the sides, uh, and that it will also connect to some sort of hub that's hooked into your home television, so you can play on your big screen in your living room as well. Uh, and it sounds like it's going to be powered by the NVIDIA Tegra mobile processor, but we don't know if that's like the new version that's sort of based on Pascal or if it's the current version that that is in the NVIDIA Shield. But it's going to be a lot like the Invi- NVIDIA Shield, which is kind of what I was saying a few months ago. Tim, I know, I know. I'm giving myself a little pat on the back. Uh, Tim, what do, what do you think of this? Is this is this a good thing? I mean, Nintendo's always doing their own wacky, weird thing. And they've certainly owned the the handheld market for a long time with DS and 3DS. Is this what you wanted out of a Nintendo system? Uh, on some levels, it sounds kind of inevitable. You know, they've obviously been struggling on the home console market, but the Wii U is well, the uh, the 3DS, I should say, has been actually reasonably successful for them. You know, the sales are plateauing and going down, but I think ultimately that's been a money maker for them. And so, for them to embrace that a little bit with their next 
big console makes sense. The weird thing here, though, is the mention that this will still be a cartridge-based system, which you know I have to imagine is some sort of a you know a, a nod to keep piracy down. Nintendo's always struggled with piracy and putting games on a cartridge is usually a pretty good way to go against that. But you got to figure this is going to be some kind of an ARM-based processor and maybe even running Android down deep within its its core. So. Maybe uh, maybe it'll be hacked, and maybe we'll see uh, a lot of the piracy that Nintendo's trying to get around. But, but ultimately, yeah, I think this is really interesting. I'm curious to see this controller. I'm curious to see if this is just some sort of a Bluetooth thing. Will you be able to buy aftermarket controllers? Will you oh, be able to get um, you know all sorts of aftermarket accessories for this thing? That's always a big part of the Nintendo game, too. But yeah, I'm intrigued by this discussion. I'm a huge Nintendo fan, always have been. So uh, I'm eager to see what they do with it. Yeah, you bring up several interesting points there. Yeah, they, they does seem to indicate that they will be using cartridges again. And yeah, certainly piracy, you know, cartridges are harder harder to pirate than anything else. But also, I wonder if there's like a bit of a nostalgia kick there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. nostalgia is so big right now. Everybody, you know, jumping on these big Kickstarters for old games and, and gaming is infused with a lot of that. And certainly Nintendo is the, the company of nostalgia for a lot of people. And I wonder if there's a bit of that, like, yeah, we're doing cartridges again, you know, it's old Nintendo, old style. I think there's something to that, perhaps. Um but and I think that's great so long as you don't have a cartridge and then have to apply a software update to your cartridge. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be hilarious, worst right? Worst of all worlds, I think, in that case. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is fascinating to me. The other big deal uh, that we haven't really mentioned yet, I mentioned the processor, but it does seem to indicate that everybody who was hoping that this new version of a Nintendo console would be as powerful as Xbox One or PS4 this seems to be the indicate that that's not going to happen. That mm-hmm. it's going to be again underpowered when compared to its peers. Um, is that a bit of a disappointment, or are you are you kind of feel like Nintendo can make a lot out of a little? Yeah, for me, it's no problem at all. I think so long as they can do a compelling 1080p experience, I think we're fine. You know, we're entering the age of 4K, and maybe by the time this comes around, it'll be disappointing if this can't do solid 4K. But honestly, you know, I don't think graphical power has been the thing that's been holding back the Wii U. It's just been really a, a lack of, of really quality first-party titles. And ultimately, I think that's been the big missing piece. If they can bring that to the table with the NX, if they can launch the NSX with a new Metroid and with a new Mario and with all the games that they need – you know, roll out all their big franchises and make them great to, to launch, then I think it'll be a big success. Um, that's really the missing piece for me. It's not really about hardware so much with Nintendo games, and it never really has been. Uh, it's always about those franchises. And if they can make them great uh, and if they can embrace this new style of gameplay, the hybrid personal slash living room experience, uh, I think I think it could be great. Yeah, I wonder how much that, that power differential is a factor in getting third parties, though. You know, I think a lot of developers want to be able to have the newest, latest, best on on you know showing off what systems can do, um, Christian. What are your what is your take on this? Are you disappointed? Are you hopeful that this kind of brings a new kind of game? I mean, we were seeing Pokemon Go bringing people out into the world. Maybe this does some of that as well. Yeah, what I think. What I think to properly pat you on the back and then also make sure we're, we're pointing the forever young 21 year old Jeff Kanata in the right direction. <laughs> I think what you did accurately predict was the graphical fidelity. I think it was maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe two months ago now, but you said that you were starting, maybe it was after E3, you're starting to think that the NX won't be this graphical powerhouse. And I think you even said it might not, you know, it will just be a Wii U in terms of graphical. I power. said it was going to be NVIDIA shield. I, I, <laughs> I name checked NVIDIA shield and it sounds like I was pretty right. Uh, you're right. funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
for me, I think this is in line with what a lot of people were expecting, except for maybe the the graphical fidelity of it, because there were originally rumors that it was going to maybe be a, a smidge above an Xbox One or a PlayStation 4. Um, my biggest concern, and I think this sounds awesome, like if this thing, whoa, what am I hearing? Uh, cool music. Um, uh, my biggest concern, and I'm I'm hopeful. I think this thing sounds great, but is the true portability of it? Like how big is the screen? The controllers kind of detach, which could be neat. I guess when you plug it into the base station, you know, you snap off each side and then maybe snap them together. And that's your controller to be using or something when you're at home playing on the TV. But there's a lot of, um, you know, how big is it? How truly portable is it? What's my battery life? How does it scale when I plug it into my TV? Is it going to be 1080p? Because on a handheld screen, what's a Vita? 540p or something like that? And that looks fine. I know it's not, you know, Retina, like an iPad Pro or whatever, like, a you know, the iPhone or Samsung phones that we see now. But, you know, it's fine. Um, and then will, will, graphics, will graphics matter? Even though it's great to see Mario Kart 8 in HD for the first time, can that still last another generation? I don't know. Well, clearly, if uh, the new Zelda comes out on this console and the Wii U, clearly it's going to be able to do at least what the Wii U can do, which, you know, games on the Wii U are pretty. They're pretty. They're not, um, you know, ugly to look at. Uh, they're certainly not comparable to the stuff we're seeing on the big consoles, you know, coming out and, and in the time window when Zelda will be coming out. But I've done a lot of thinking about this in the last week since this news hit, and were you just sitting there thinking, "I was right"? I was so right. <laughs> I was so so right. I can't wait to tell Christian how right I was. Um, no, I. You know, we saw this new Zelda at at E3, and it is the only game so far we know for sure is going to be out on NX. We hear rumors of a new Pikmin. We hear rumors of all kinds of stuff. And we can probably be pretty sure that a new Mario is in the works and all, you know, they're, they're franchises. But we know for sure this game that we had hands-on with at E3 is going to be on NX. And I got to say, the, the changes to Zelda have kind of gotten me excited about being able to take this with me on the go. Like the fact that this Zelda game isn't just a typical Zelda sit down and get through a temple and figure out all the puzzles. It really does feel like this much wider, broader, um, longer experience that I think will be fun to do in bits and bops, you know, standing in line at places or, you know, in waiting rooms or walking around, whatever it is. The fact that I can, you know, farm some materials and craft things in a Zelda game, which I've never been able to do before. I can just do that in a, in short spurts makes it feel like a mobile experience and being able to, the idea that I can actually take this on the go with me and then come home and do much more in-depth sort of temple experiences there. I kind of feel like that maybe legitimizes this whole idea in a lot of ways. It it could certainly open the door to some pretty awesome and pretty exciting things. Uh, But uh, Chris, kind of as you alluded to, it could also create a lot of complexity and a lot of frustration for developers as you're trying to make a game that works with controllers and maybe also optionally works without controllers. You know, uses a touchscreen, but also can be played without a touchscreen. Presumably, can be played with some sort of combination of Wiimotes, maybe as well. Um, you know, I think that that could get to a point where this could be a difficult thing for third-party developers to get their heads around it. And as you mentioned before, if indeed the hardware isn't up to snuff when it comes to graphical performance, and if indeed porting things is difficult, as it has been in the past as well, for Nintendo systems, 
we could be again in a situation where there aren't really that many third-party titles, and we're again leaning on Nintendo to kind of uh, keep the boat uh, afloat, as it were. So uh, that that I think is probably a big concern, and Nintendo trying to do too much. You know, the Wii U was interesting in its implementation of having this crazy touchscreen gamepad that ultimately, to me, still feels like more of a detriment than than a benefit. Uh, so I hope they can do a better job with the NX of making all this feel like a cohesive package and making it all feel like something that you have to have versus just something that Nintendo did to to, uh, to be different, more or less. Well, the irony, right, is that <laughs> that pad is the whole system now. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> which honestly it felt like it should have been for the Wii U in the first place. You know, I think yeah. when we first saw the Wii U back in the day, we thought, oh, this is great. I can just take this with me when I go. And I said, well, no, actually you need to keep within, you know, Wi-Fi range of the, of the console. And at that point, it just sort of seemed to not make a lot of sense. So to bring that out of the home, which is really how the Wii U should have been in the first place, I think that starts to make more sense. I wish they'd done that before. Yeah. Uh, maybe it'll be better now. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see when we get the the real details on this thing. But, you know, one thing we know for sure is as as the other two consoles over the last couple of generations have sort of converged and made things very, very easy for third parties to make one game on multiple platforms, Nintendo has done the opposite. And they are... Yeah. It sounds like they are continuing that strategy of you have to really make something for our system that doesn't work anywhere else. So it remains to be seen whether that strategy will end up working. But um, it's going to be fascinating to see how they roll this thing out. Can we, uh, while I have you on uh, correct prediction mode, Jeff Kanata, and and Tim and I will throw in too, price point. (laughs) It's got to be low. It's got to be low. It's got to be like uh, NVIDIA Shield low. I think it's going to be... Two ninety nine at the highest. Tim, yeah, I was going to say two ninety nine as well. I might go three forty nine, but uh, yeah, I think I think really Nintendo knows that they've got to make these things cheap to go mass market, and they need to they need to move a lot of consoles to show that they've got um, they've got legs. So I think it's got to be two ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to say two fifty. So people in the chat are saying that that was going to be my guess too. The same price as a Wii U, I think, is going to be there. The mm-hmm. next generation for the price of this generation, That's I think, is. The- the pitch. I mean, I think really they're they're competing with their own handheld system too at this point. Like it's 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 a replacement for 3ds as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Christian, how about you? What is your story of the week? Uh, there's a couple of things. It's it's kind of like a slow week um, for playlist. I'll just let people know I've played Marvel Ultimate Alliance, so I think I'll talk about that stuff there. There's problems with the game. I think I'll save that. There's some news for it too, but I don't think we need to hit that for right now. Um, I, I will get back to it, I promise you, because I streamed some of that as well. And if you saw that, you saw uh, both my love and hate for that game. <laughs> I guess the biggest story for me is the, the the instruction manual or brochure for the PlayStation VR leaked or was released or came out. And they're saying, Sony is saying that you need 60 feet um, of play space for the PlayStation VR, which when I saw the headline, I think Polygon was the first to report it. And... Um, 60 square feet of space. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I, I don't, it looks like I'm going to be listing my PSVR on eBay or returning. It. <laughs> You're like, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a or lot of space. But if you're a hardcore gamer, you know, come on. <laughs> right, yeah. Maybe, I, my house. maybe list that before you put the thing on presale? <laughs> maybe? I, yeah, it's, um, but then I, I went back in my mind and in pictures even from when I played the thing. And I did not have that. Like, their demos at E3 were not that. Yeah, so, no way. Not even close. Yeah, right? I mean, there were two to three people stacked. The only one that was maybe close to that was, um, oh, what's that first-person shooter one with the generic name? Farpoint. Thank you. Um, that was the only one that close to that, but that was only because they built, you know, 
fake rocks around you that also weren't <laughs> 60 square feet away from you. But I, I feel like this is PlayStation getting in, like ever since the Wii, everything needs to say like, hey, dum-dum, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you need to be in a padded cell uh, room away from anybody. Like, Keep your wrist strap on at all times. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Be in a be in a car, be in a seatbelt, have a friend observing you, and but I don't know. It made it made me nervous. Did this change your perspective of of PlayStation VR at all, Tim? Or you kind of think it's just that safety first thing? It's definitely safety first. Yeah, I've done those PSVR demos as well, where you are shoulder to shoulder basically with other people, and and certainly health and safety thought that was okay. And actually, you know, I had to go back and look it up. This is bigger than HTC says you need to have for the Vive, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> right? Um, Vive says six by six. This is nine point eight by six point two, which is you know, obviously a metric conversion there. But um, yeah, I think this is this is them trying to be safe. In fact, I think the manual also recommends that you play seated. So it's hard to imagine why you need 60 feet if you're <laughs> going to sit. Man, man spreading is what like, that is. You're going to man spread, you know. 80s and 90s video game commercial leans is what you need. That uh, yeah. Uh, I happen to have a, a, a large living room. So I, if I were to clear out the couch, I would actually probably be okay for this. But but no, this hasn't changed my, my mind. I am so incredibly excited for PSVR. Uh, I, I probably would move at this point if, if I did have to and have to do so. <laughs> well, I think that's their saving grace is, is that most people are going to be playing it in their living room, right? There, there's And living rooms tend to be larger spaces. And I think the 60 feet they, they say, as you guys have made abundantly clear, they say cleared space. I think that's just like w- you know, wagging your arms all around the room space. I don't think that's like, you know, you can't have any items in there. Uh, that just seems crazy. But uh, the other thing, you know, another safety thing that's buried in here a little bit is PlayStation VR is not to be used by anyone under 12, uh, which... I did some research this morning about that, and there doesn't seem to be any any proof that VR is bad for kids, uh, other than maybe their eyesight. You know, you can any, which is the same with a cell phone or anything else that you hold close. If you read, look at a lot of things close up, you may become nearsighted. But um, it does seem like they're being very conservative in this instruction manual as to their recommendations, and that's lawsuits, right? That's just to avoid lawsuits. Don't be under twelve. Mm-hmm. Don't have anything that you could possibly bump into in the world, uh, and then we're safe because we told you. So, well, except you have a sixty-foot cable running through your living room, right? Like, it's, this is the most living room I think friendly VR because most people have their PlayStation in their living room. Like, you know, we have talked about where I do get a Vive. The only place I could play it is in my living room, but I'm not going to move my gaming PC and all of that. Like, my living room is a family room, also, and so. But I feel like you can have a PlayStation in your living room, but then you're running cords. This isn't wireless. You're not sitting back at your couch playing this thing, right? I mean, it's still, it's still cumbersome. It still has some issues, some hurdles for, in terms of, you know, leaving it out and playing it. Like I'm playing this. You've been to my house, Jeff, like you walk into my house and you're kind of right in my living room. Like I can't, I don't know. I can't be doing this and have my wife and kids come home at, whatever time and me not know they're there <laughs> and that they trip over. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's a good point. It's interesting. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, you'll make it work obviously. And I think a lot of people will, and there's going to be pr- plenty of people that figure out like the minimum amount of space that this thing will work in. And it's probably <laughs> going to be very different than 60 square feet. Well, we'll have a video of Anthony Carboni playing it in a pod hotel in Japan, yeah. you know, <laughs> by the time it comes out. Uh, so my story of the week this week is uh, this crazy dude that bought an early copy of No Man's Sky on eBay for over twelve hundred dollars. 
So evidently some nefarious indi- for your birthday, Jeff. And I thought you would be more appreciative. <laughs> yeah, no, I wish. Uh, but it sounds like, I don't know. It's, this is crazy. So evidently somebody got a hold of an early copy of no man's sky, put it up on eBay, eBay and charged like 1250 bucks. And some dude bought it and he got it 10 days before the release date. And, uh, started posting on Reddit all of his experience. And Sean Murray got on Twitter and said, please, guys, don't read this. He's spoiling the entire game. And Yeah, so shut up, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, I don't know, I'm torn. I'm actually torn about this. But it's an interesting story. I mean, there's, there's two facets of it, right? Is the There's a discussion to be had of this dude playing it early and this weird, it's almost like his, his Reddit page has blown up and he's like this reviewer. I mean, he's not an actual reviewer, but he's ostensibly a reviewer who paid a premium to be able to be the first person to review it. Right. I mean, it's all, you know, not sanctioned obviously by hello games and this, they wish this guy didn't have it, but there's a weird facet of like pay for access kind of thing, which is one half of the story. And then the other half of the story is, the fact that now he's posting all these spoilers and he we, – we have heard for months and months and months every time No Man's Sky is brought up that it is this massively large experience that you're going to be starting at one edge of the galaxy and the goal is to get to the center. Well, it turns out this guy did it, got to the center, took him 30 hours and he was says he wasn't even really trying that hard to get to the center. Uh, and you know, for months and months and months, every time we heard Sean Murray come on any show or whatever and talk about how – huge this game was the joke was always yeah well you're underestimating underestimating the internet somebody's gonna get to the center real quick ha 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 well no one nobody thought it'd be the (laughs) first guy to play it literally the first guy to play it so a lot to talk about here tim i'm curious whichever side of this story is more interesting to you but what is your take on on this craziness oh so many interesting sides yeah i guess i'll start with the 30 hour thing uh, i i've logged more hours than i'm proud to admit in elite dangerous uh and i've never come anywhere near the center of of anything honestly <laughs> uh so to, to think that you could get to the center of this game in 30 hours that, that is a little bit disappointing especially if you wasn't making a concerted effort to do so you know i know in Elite, you can load up an exploration ship with a, a big light year or hyper jump drive and, and get there in a matter of days, but um, it's going to take a while. So uh, that's a little bit disappointing. But then again, you know, I don't think that's really the nature of this game. I don't think the idea is that you kind of rush to get from A to B. It's more about, you know, more about the journey, as it were. So um, I'm definitely very excited by the game. I didn't read a lot of this because I didn't really want to be spoiled myself. Yeah, I either. am very excited by the game. Um, but yeah, and then to to touch on the other aspect of, of paying to get early access, you know, I think that's kind of the nature of the media world that we live into. I think that that this individual saw that this was going to be a good opportunity to get a lot of exposure for um, for themselves uh, and probably a good investment. I'll I'll almost guarantee that that investment has paid off for them. Yeah. Well, I guess you know if somebody came upon the iPhone seven sitting on a bar stool, any number of websites would pay a big premium to have access to that thing. So I guess it's not new, you know, this idea, but it just seems a little crazy that, you know, he basically paid for an, a massive exclusive. And I know this guy isn't a journalist or, a, or but you, you know, he's getting something out of it. That's for sure. Um, Christian, what's your take? I mean, I think a lot of this point, the 30 hours thing points to the danger the sort of Peter Molyneux-esque danger of hyping your game in a certain way 
and having people's expectations like it is so big that it is impossible to oh i did it he a guy did it. the first guy ever the first guy to have the game did it oh boy that uh, okay so <laughs> what's your take on this yeah i also avoided a lot of this because i don't <clears throat> excuse me i don't know what is there is to be spoiled per se in no man's sky it's not you know and then you find out that drake was dead the whole time or something and you're like no <laughs> um but so I, I kind of avoided the specifics, but uh, someone in the our chat right now, Casey Asante, said the issue is he found a bug that let him mine for resources really quickly. Mm. So, you know, maybe that'll change. I, I do. I feel like for this type of game, it's not out yet. So I'm not that concerned, if that makes sense. Like, is it shocking that one person was able to get to the center of the universe in, in 30 hours in, in No Man's Sky? Yeah, I would say that's pretty shocking. Um Am, am I going to get to the center of the universe in 30 hours in No Man's Sky? No, no, I'm not. You know, so it's kind of like um, objectively, yeah, okay, this game maybe is overhyped and it's not as big as it says it's going to be. But if I play the game for 30 hours and I spent $60 on it or whatever it is and the gameplay looks like the fun I think I'm going to be having with it in those 30 hours, that's awesome. Like, I don't need a game that I can never finish, right? It's, it's right. this weird thing where the appeal of it is, it's so big, you'll never get to the end of it. And I'm like, oh yeah, wait, well that kind of sucks too, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> don't, don't we want to get there? Um, I'm still, I'm still very optimistic about this game. Uh, I, I do think it, it has been overhyped. Um, perhaps unintentionally, it's become the, you know, the biggest, bettest, best thing. And now I think any chance that people have to knock it it will be taken mostly because I think it will generate traffic and clicks and links. Um, and in regards to paying 1200 bucks for an early copy of something awesome, you know, hopefully this guy was spending his or her money wisely and not, you know, like not eating or not feeding <laughs> their family. But if, you know, you have the disposable income to do something like that and that's your hobby, that's great. You know, I know people that take, you know, Tim, uh, I'm sure has, it lives in this world too, where you go autocross your car every weekend, and you're dropping, you know, 4G on tires, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, that's where you're spending your money. You're getting a, a, you know, race fuel for your car to fill up your tank and you burn through that on one lap. So, you know, money is meant to be spent. I just hope that he is spending it wisely for this and not <laughs> ignoring other basic human needs. Yeah. Or children it, or significant others, you know, those sorts of things. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, in his post, he kind of make, mentions that he says, you know, I, I have the money. I was able to do it. And it, it clearly has the time, right? He's, he spent the money and then buckled in and played that game like crazy. Um, and kudos to him for having the combination. You know, there are a lot of people out there with a lot of one or the other, but um, yeah. rarely do you get the co- convergence of both. Yeah. I'd like to have either one or the other. That would be nice. Um, <laughs> the, these chat room is going crazy about this story. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, talking about, you know, Casey Asante says it's actually a good thing. So now we know there will be a patch when it comes out to fix it. It's not like this game wasn't tested. You know, one guy being able to do this, I guess he he mm. is clamoring for a day one patch because I guess he also purchased an item that let him make longer jumps, uh, light speed jumps than normal. And he thinks that the price of that should be higher than it is now in the game. So I kind of don't know how I feel about one guy having that much impact on a game that a team of people have been working on for years. Um, but to be fair, the team of people working on the game was also one guy. So it's kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating situation. I'm, you know, I had hands on with it. I only played a half an hour of it, but I came away 
feeling a little bit like I wanted to temper my expectations for the game too. I still think the game's going to be great. I still am planning on buying it when it comes out, but which by the way, it's coming out on PC later than PS4, which is a bit of a bummer because I was planning to buy it on PC. But um, when did that really? I, yeah, I have it coming on PC as well. That is a bummer. Yeah, it got delayed until the 12th, I think. It's coming on the 8th mm. or yeah, it's like four yeah. days or something, hmm. um, which is a bit of a bummer. But um, I, I'm still planning to, to play it. I'm still looking forward to it. But I do think that like, crazy ridiculous hype that this this particular game had um it's maybe good that people are tempering their expectations a bit and it is not all things to all people but i think it's going to be a pretty interesting experience and still you know 30 hours is pretty awesome and he says he's he didn't do quote major events so i don't know what major events are in the context of this game but i'm pretty excited to find out it's pretty neat uh, and we'll be talking about that game very very soon because it's it's coming up we're in august so it's it's happening um, we do have uh, a couple of other news bits I want to hit, but I do need to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. You've heard me talk about Squarespace for a long, long time. That's because I've been using Squarespace for a long, long time. Probably a decade now I've been using Squarespace, uh, and that's it's because they're the best. It's the easiest thing to use. JeffCanada.com, my own website, it was created on Sp- Squarespace, is housed on Squarespace, it's awesome. If you have any need for a online presence of any kind, you want to make an online portfolio, you have a, something to sell online, you have uh, any kind of website that you need to make, I urge people to try Squarespace. I, I recommend it to my own family. It's because it's so easy. You can make something that looks professional, looks really, really nice, and it doesn't look like everything else on the, on the web. It's not just a you know, cookie-cutter template. You start with really nice templates, but then you use drag and drop. What you see is what you get editing tools to create something unique to you that looks really great. That's easy to update. They have uh, web apps and they have mobile apps that you can use to update your website at any time in any place. So you have something that you need to throw up really quick. You take a picture on the go. You can do it via Squarespace website and uh, mobile app. It's so great. Also, we are going to give you a discount if you try Squarespace. So what you can do is you can go to their website and you can sign up and you can create a, a, a site of your own without even having to put a credit card in. It's completely free to try. You can completely create your site, make it how you want, decide whether you want to do it. But then if you do want to do it, we'll give you 10% off just by using our promo code. So what you do is you go to squarespace.com DLC and then you put the promo code Jeff sent me in there, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. And you get 10% off. It's pretty cool. It shows support for our show. Show them that you listen to DLC. We appreciate that. So squarespace.com slash DLC with that promo code Jeff sent me. All right, guys. Uh, I did want to bring up, um, you know, the last several weeks, even last last week, we talked a lot about Pokemon Go because we had uh, Denny on, who is a big Pokemon Go journalist. And we've been talking about Pokemon Go. It's taken over the world. Everybody's talking about it. I mean, comedians, as Christian was saying, or start with Pokemon Go jokes. It's like the cultural zeitgeist of the moment, right? Well, maybe the honeymoon is over a little bit because uh, the new Pokemon Go uh, update came out, a patch, uh, which was aimed to fix the uh, three-step problem. So basically the idea is if you're on the Pokemon Go app and you get close to a Pokemon in the wild, it's supposed to tell you how many steps away from it you are, but it wasn't working. It was kind of erroneously telling people that they were always three steps away, so they were having a problem. So Niantech uh, was was saying, let's let's fix it. We'll fix it for you. And how we fix it is we're just going to take that feature out. <laughs> just remove that feature. People are upset about that. 
Uh, and then this website, uh, several websites actually, that allow or that allowed people to find Pokemon easier by mapping them using actual Niantic data and uh, you know giving people co- you know coordinated maps of the entire Pokemon um, uh, population. They are saying that's a hack, and they ordered them to be shut down. So a lot of unrest in the Pokemon Go community. Tim, is this the is this the beginning of the end? Are we seeing Pokemon Go die because of poor management? What do you think? Man, it still remains to be seen exactly how how, how big the legs are on Pokemon Go. You know, so many people want to be proclaiming the death of the game. People, I, I guess that's the nature of new media. People want to say that something's dead. Um, they want to be the first one to, to, to call something dead before everybody else does. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's the temptation here by and large, but uh, I think this is going to push away a lot of, a lot of users and ultimately start the decline. But, you know, I, I think we're going to plateau out here. I think we're going to level off and see a, uh, a pretty steady user group of Pokemon Go that's going to hang out for quite a long time. I do think this game has pretty solid legs. Obviously, it cannot maintain the uh, the level of hype that it's been operating at over the past couple of weeks. And this um, operation, you know, the, these couple of changes that they made are really poor timing. And I think that it probably points to a company that's not used to being in the spotlight as much as Niantic has been over the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're learning fast and they'll have to. Um, but this is a little bit unfortunate. I do think it was a, a bad decision for the users. Uh, I do think that they'll bring back features bigger and better and ultimately make people happy. Uh, but, you know, it'll it'll cost them. It'll cost them some players. And that's uh, that's unfortunate. It's crazy how, you know, you, you make something, you put it out, and it becomes a big hit. And the expectation is for you to iterate on it so quickly. It just seems yeah. impossible to, you know, people are like, oh, we want this, we want that, we want this. Even if they worked on all that stuff from the moment people said it, it, it just seems impossible for them to feed that beast as quickly as it needs to be fed in order to maintain it. So it just seems like a, almost a, you're the victim of your own success in a lot of ways. Yeah, and this that's, is not sorry, a huge company. Um, so I think that's what people need to keep in mind. You know, this this was not developed by Nintendo. This is not a huge corporation that's putting this thing out there. It's a small company that made a fun little game that that blew up. Uh, and so if they're going to be a little slow to respond, they're going to make some missteps. I think that's something that, that you have to have to expect. Yeah. Christian? I was going to say, I think to some extent that is the fault of the internet. And while I love the internet, it is, and I, I probably talked about this before on an episode maybe years ago, where, you know, it used to be you were good at the Street Fighter Two arcade cabinet at your stop and go or whatever, right at the local arcade. And then it became the internet and you're, you realize you're bad. And you also realize that everyone it seems like everyone is playing this game, right? Like you can go onto the Reddit forum for any game or any type of game. And you're like, oh my God, I, this is this is the only game. This is the, I got to get hyped around this game. This is the game, this is the game. And then you realize that all of that is going on for another game too. Oh, Legal, that's the game, that's the game. Heroes, that's the game. Oh, Street Fighter V, look at Evo, I got to do that. And it's this this world where everything is held up to such a high standard. It seems like, you know, the media, or even if it's just enthusiast forums blowing it out of proportion, and then you create this microscope and then you have people like us, I will say that we are part of the problem, you know, talking about it or analyzing it. And it becomes this thing that is maybe bigger than it ever was or meant to be. And and I think that happens with expectations with like No Man's Sky. Oh, well, 30 hours to beat it. That's, well, 
don't buy it. And then story perpetuates like No Man's Sky, biggest disappointment this year. The game's not out yet. Like Pokemon Go, the game's dead because there's no story. No news outlet's going to get clicks for Pokemon Go continues its rabid success. Yeah, it's all this or is nothing, day. right? Yeah. Right. Mr. And Famine. it's this yeah. thing where it blows up and becomes a thing. So now there's a change. And, uh, well, what, what's the reaction to the change? What's your reaction? And then it, it becomes this thing that, you know, maybe it affects people negatively. I would guess that most people don't care, right? Like, it's it's the idea now with the internet that the thing that used to be a myth about your friend's cousin's brother's son's best friend found a warp whistle in Zelda, <laughs> you know, and like, it's real. You got to blow on the cartridge four times and plug it in. Or, hey... Four miles into the woods, there's a porno mag. <laughs> My friend Billy saw it. He buried it. Like these things now that were just myths are reality and someone has footage of them doing it. And then it becomes this bigger story. The last thing on this, I need to find her name because I've forgotten it. I just remember the anecdote. But there's a, a comedian. I believe she was in New York. She posted a picture of herself in front of Kat Von D lipstick that was called Underage Red. And she picture, posted a picture of herself like rolling her eyes. And she was like, oh, great. What's next? And she watched her thing. She was the big bang of this story become a thing where CNN had Kat Von D on demanding her to apologize for you know, saying that underage sex or whatever is a good thing, and we should be doing this. And she's like, you know, the st- new story is like women across the country are outraged by Kat Von D's, you know, disgusting. Na-. And she's like, this was me. I was a woman. I rolled my eyes mostly because I didn't know Kat Von D had makeup. <laughs> and it's just this weird thing where the once the you know E three hype train or the wheels keep churning, it, it's going to be a big thing. And Pokemon Go is a great game. It's made tons of money. People love it. Do these changes negatively affect some people? I'm sure they do. Did the old system negatively affect some people? I'm sure it did. Am I going to play Pokemon Go? Nope. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, think, uh, I don't know. I think Merman1983 in the chat here has an interesting point. He says, their number one failing is lack of communication. There's been zero, nearly zero communication with the millions of players. A simple statement or two would go a long way. I think that's, you know, that's what people always want. I, I wonder how easy or difficult that really is, you know, inside the context of a company that's scrambling to keep up with the, the giant snowball that they started pushing down the, the hill. I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, uh, let's, that should do it for story of the week. Let's, uh, let's move on now to the playlist. All right, Tim, uh, you have been playing st- some some fun games. Uh, what is on your playlist this week? Yeah, I've been playing some VR stuff, which we'll talk about in a bit. But for uh, non-VR stuff, I've actually been playing uh, – it, it's not a recent game. It's not a, even a very good game. But my wife and I have been absolutely hooked on Earth Defense Force, the PS4 release, which came out um, I think about four or five months ago. finally came out in the U.S., um, I get hooked on this game uh, in a Japanese release. I get to go to Tokyo to spend every year, which is, which is awesome. And I always pick up some – random game uh, that usually on the Vita, just because the Vita has no region lock, so I can take it home and, and play it on the flight home. And I picked up uh, EDF kind of randomly when I was in Tokyo last year and really found it to be pretty dumb, but pretty entertaining. Uh, so when the PS4 release came out with Couch Co-op, uh, my wife and I enjoy playing co-op games together. Uh, and we have been we've been loving it because it's basically, if you've never played EDF, it's basically like a uh, 
a really terrible 60s sci-fi movie brought to uh, a really terrible sort of um, hack and slash kind of gameplay. Uh, there's really not a lot to it, but um, it's quite addictive and shooting giant ants and giant robots and giant UFOs uh, with your significant other is a pretty good time. So we've been spending a lot of time uh, playing that lately. Is that split screen couch co-op style? Is that what you... Split screen couch co-op, yep. Nice. Uh, yeah, I played, I think I played an earlier iteration of that game. Like, I don't know what number they're on now, but it was years ago. And yeah, it was pretty wacky. The, you know, the giant, as you said, 1960s, like ants and spiders and stuff that are 60 feet tall or whatever. Uh, uh, but just wha- just destroy everything you can, right? That's just the whole game is just kill. If it moves, shoot it. Yeah, it's pretty much like Dynasty Warriors plus a sci-fi element added onto it with big guns. And kind of the big appeal of it is that there are hundreds of weapons. There's basically four different um, player category classes that you can choose from. And each of them has hundreds of weapons that you can unlock. So, you know, giant rocket launchers with lock-on functionality. Uh, you can call in orbital strikes with laser uh, sensors. Uh, you can do all sorts of crazy things. You can unlock these giant mechs and stomp around and squash the, the, the even larger insects. Um, and part of the great part is the the translation from Japanese to English is really terrible. <laughs> so all of the soldiers around you are kind of yelling and chanting and, and kind of inspiring each other. And they're just shouting these nonsensical things that probably sounded pretty awesome in Japanese, but they just sound really dumb in English. <laughs> that's um, awesome. so that's part, of the, part of the fun. We both enjoy bad sci-fi movies. We're both Mystery Science Theater fans. Um, so this kind of fits right into that. It's just proof that you don't need much when you're playing together. Like you just have a context Absolutely. for sharing fun with another person. It's <laughs> <laughs> it helps a lot for sure. Uh, and you're also playing Doom, right? Yeah, I missed Doom when it first came out. I was traveling a whole lot, so I didn't get to play it. Uh, and then when uh, Sony was having their sale a couple weeks back, I finally said, all right, this is the time. Uh, and man, I'm I'm loving it. It's it's fantastic. It's so I know I'm late to the story there, too. But yeah, it's damn good. Yeah, yeah. How's it running on PS4 for you? That's what you're playing it? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, I think there were some hiccups earlier, but um, yeah, from the version I've been playing, which again, a, a couple months after release, uh, it's been rock solid. The, the only problem I've been having is that someone actually hacked my PSN account, uh, and they oh, no. um, they basically went through and did the thing where you can deactivate someone else's console and make their console as the active console, oh, basically. So uh, the only problem I get is that uh, I my PS4 will no longer update itself. So I just get a lot of warning messages and error messages when I'm trying to play, which is frustrating. Uh, That sucks. It's a really annoying thing. If anyone from Sony is listening, this is incredibly annoying. If someone does that to you, Sony has a restriction that you can only do that once every six months. So even though I called Sony and said, Hey, somebody hacked my account. I've changed my password. Everything's cool, but I need to reset to block their PS4 out. It's not possible until six months go by. So I have to deal with this for six months. Unbelievable. It's ridiculous, right? I had to to know that. Even Sony, the you know the console cycle when they're crushing it, it's good to know that old dumb Sony is still there somewhere. <laughs> I had a similar thing with Twitter when I was like, you know, somebody managed to hack my Twitter and was just having me follow like hundreds and hundreds of people every day, and there was no way for I had to just manually go in and unfollow people, and it would happen every single day, and I changed every password, and I you know it deactivated every. Uh, app that had access to my Twitter didn't change just kept going I kept begging Twitter to do anything it just you feel so powerless in those situations and it feels yeah. like the company doesn't have your back at all they're just sort of like well you know well, that's how it is uh, it sucks yeah Jeff your thing doesn't sound like someone hacked your account it sounds like you downloaded the latest uh, clicking iOS game and that's what it was you had to yeah. go in no that's what it was, was un- a spin on it I like it, it was called unfollow the fun morning <laughs> game yeah, that was terrible <laughs> Uh, Pretty good plan. Christian, what do you got? What do you got on your playlist? 
So as I tease, I will get to Marvel Ultimate Alliance, but I will start with um, some oldies. I fired up the division again this week. Just briefly, I'm going to check in on the division. Uh, I never got big into the dark zone, still not big into the dark zone. Still have fun with that game. It remains solidly on my top of the year list. I think, I don't know if it'll make it into the top five come the end of the year, but I'm still a very happy division player. So just a check in on the division, still enjoying it, having lots of fun, going in solo most of the time, grinding out, you know, I have 10 minutes or 20 minutes here, pop in, grind something out, move along and see my little progress bar move up. It still, it still scratches the right itch for me. Um, you talked about it two weeks ago and I think Danny played it last week, but Song of the Deep, Insomniac provided me a review code for the PlayStation 4 for this and I finally got around to firing it up and I will echo, I think pretty much, (laughs) that's funny, echo, um, pretty much everything you said about the game. It is beautiful. It is atmospheric. It gets you going, you know, you dive in quickly with, you know, the premise and the plot and then existing in this fantastical world that kind of doesn't make sense with mech seahorses and stuff. But at the same time, it's a world where this little girl or this, this girl builds her own submarine that can go down there and kick butt. So you're like, okay, cool. And it's also, you're on board. I think it's also cool that it's like based on Irish mythology. I mean, you know, you see a lot of the same tropes used over and over. It's kind of fun to see somebody mining different mythology for once. Yeah, and they go deeper into that with some of the um, story collectibles and stuff like that, which is cool too, which can reward. It's it, I agree, it's compelling because it's not every other game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also would share your sentiment though with the control being more frustrating than enjoyable, especially as you, what I, I guess I would say combined with the combat system where I'm having fun exploring and then I get into an area that has five jellyfish and one shooty thing, whatever that thing is that shoots spires at you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just felt myself going, ah, oh. yeah. Don't make me so, fight. It's so pretty down here. Don't make me fight. <laughs> just not not this often and not this many guys. I'm surprised like, that you feel that way though, Christian, because that's sort of – you know, I expected myself to feel that way. But I think you are a little more masochistic than I am with these kinds of games. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that too. I don't know if maybe you colored my expectations, but I don't think so. I went into this thing with an open mind and I sat down to play it. But I guess the biggest telling thing for me is that after I sat down and played it for that first bit the first time – I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go play more Marvel Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Like that is what I wanted to do. The fun wasn't there to hook me to keep me playing and to beat uh, Song of the Deep. I wanted to go play something else that is also a bad game. I, <laughs> but I would say if you're an Insomniac fan and you have money burning your hole in your pocket, go buy Ratchet and Clank. Right. That is so good. It is so it's good. funny. My... Then, my um... I it was my birthday weekend and my family came into town. My sister brought my two nephews who are uh, 11 and six. And it's hilarious because the 11 year old had a great time playing song of the deep and kept wanting to play it. The six year old was like, this is too complicated. I don't like this game. But the six year old loved ratchet and clank. And it's funny. It's like hmm. insomniac basically had a game for each of the, each of the nephews that came into town for me. Um, it was funny. Yeah, I would throw my weight behind um, Ratchet and Clank if you're looking for an ins- if you want to th- support Insomniac this year. I think that game is still it might go to the end of the year too in my top five. I I really enjoy that. It's a bit game. of a bummer for me that the only I was kept looking through my library of games for stuff that was appropriate for kids like that, and I was like, I guess Insomniac games are the only ones that I have. That's actually <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, I'm the problem, you guys. I am the problem 
I bought Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 and 2, the bundle, for 60 bucks or whatever stupid amount it was. And I loved these games last gen. And do I still have my PlayStation 3 hooked up to my TV? Yes. Could I still play the original? Yeah. Yeah. Did I buy the remasters? I, I don't know why. I, you're I the did problem. it. I am. I am the. Pro- I'm, I love comics. Um, I don't. You know, I'm a Marvel zombie and a, a DC, whatever they call themselves. Uh, <laughs> um, and and these games, this is. It's your worst fear, right? Like it's the crappy Activision, quote wink wink remaster. Like it. It's prettier than the originals, but by no means is it The Last of Us or Halo Combat Evolved, where you or Gears of War Ultimate Edition, where you put this thing in and you're like, here we go. Um, it's a bare bones remaster. There's still some frame. I'm playing on PS4. There are some frame rate hiccups and stutters that happen in Marvel Ultimate Alliance Two, which that's the one I streamed. I have that on on my Twitch, which is just Christian Spicer, and then archived at the YouTube too, which is Christian Spicer seven one three. If people want to see me, just pure joy on my face. Like I'm having so much fun playing this game, but it's. It's so bad. I mean, well, just a crappy, a crappy remaster. Uh, and when it goes into the cutscenes, like I don't know if they never had, if they never had the cutscenes in HD or if they deleted them. And it looks like someone went to YouTube and found the cutscenes from the PS3 or Xbox 360 version of the game, and then went to like Keepvid or like you know like some online. YouTube ripper still and like have the watermark down the lower right hand corner yeah. download or xyz.com yeah. <laughs> all but Tim all I mean it is artifacts and compression just out the I mean it is mm-hmm. awful like you want the cutscene to end so the graphics look better you know um but the gameplay on PS4 is the same thing it was from 10 years ago that I love it's that mindless I call it adult lego like it's more than Lego games, but less than Diablo two or right. Diablo three, where you're running around beating people up, smashing things, and you're doing it, or I'm doing it as some of my favorite characters. And it's a cool time for Marvel because this was before the MCU, as we know it, was a thing. So Black Widow is very Russian, Black Widow, and yeah, it's like it's not Scarlett uh, like, Johansson. Yeah. No, not at all. And like Wolverine is still just like overly bubby or whatever. <laughs> It's, it's, I think from that nostalgic for me where I'm like, oh, it's almost pulling inspiration from the 90s comics more than what we know of them now. Like this isn't, I guess there are um, ultimate costumes in it, but it's not those versions of the characters. And um, the the last thing, and I, I, you know, we'll tease this up top. The game is a mess on PC. Um, it launched broken, sound files not working, uh, delay if you try to use mouse and keyboard, which to play a diablo game is you know insane that's okay because if you plug a controller in that doesn't work either (laughs) right (laughs) right but the silver lining of that i guess oh and also the dlc is not included in these games like it doesn't come with all the characters as you would expect for an already overpriced crappily ported um remaster you think you'd at least get you know the gold edition characters no you didn't you didn't get any of that but 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 uh, Bill Rossman, who is the creative director at Marvel Games, you know, tweeted out saying, hey, I'm aware of these issues. We're going to fix them. It's coming soon. We're going to fix the D- the PC version. The DLC characters are incoming. You know, we got this. So potential silver lining. Do I recommend anyone, anyone out there buy these games at the price they currently are? 
No. Am I enjoying the crap out of them? <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I know I mentioned my streams from time to time, but if you ever like, this is the one to watch. Where I think I play like an hour and a half, the first hour and a half of uh, Ultimate Alliance Two, and I'm sitting there just like, this game is crap. This game. <gasps> Did you see that? <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Iron Man just shot his repulsor beam into Cap Shield, and I just laid waste to everybody. And it's like the team up moves become redundant and. Ultimate Alliance 2, they have like those super team up moves and you, you know, you power it up and hit the thing. And I'm like, oh, let's see what this one is. And it's just literally, I think it was Wolverine and Daredevil and their team up move was them just running around next to each other. <laughs> just like punching. <laughs> it's their buddies. It's a handhold <laughs> <Right>. thing. <laughs> it's like Red Rover. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm like, this is the dumbest. Look, they're just running. And then what happens when I get into the next room full of guys? I'm like, guys, I'm going to do the team. I'm kicking so much. Butt. And I'm like, <laughs> It's it's so they're bad, but I love them so much. This is my um, Real Housewives or whatever you know. Your guilty your Earth Defense Force is what it sounds like. Yeah, man, I can, yeah. I can totally relate, and that's okay. Uh, so everybody, go buy these games, guys. They're so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I want. We were talking about my uh, Twitter being hacked. Uh, Ksex in the chat room says he he admitted how he did it. He said, "Password: I love Spicer. Password: I love Spicer one. Password: I love Spicer two. <laughs> How did he know? How did he know? Um, so the game that I've been playing uh, this week is a, a game that I was really amped for coming out of E3. We saw it in the Xbox presentation, and it looked really intriguing and cool, called We Happy Few. Uh, kind of had a Bioshock vibe. Well, it came out into early access this week, and I was provided a code to, to check it out. And so I did. If you've heard anything about this game, most of the people are saying, uh, don't play it yet. I'm going to echo that. Don't play it yet. It has a lot of promise. It, there are different shades of early access, right? Early access on Steam can mean, hey, this is kind of a beta. This is kind of a, a, like a demo of the game. We're not Everything's not in, but it pretty much runs how we want it to. And early access can also mean, this is not the game we intend to put out, but we're building it. And you can sort of experience the process of us building it. I feel like this is certainly the latter of those two things because um, it really is not balanced. It's not fun yet. It has a lot of interesting things in it that indicate where they may be heading and have a lot of promise, but that promise is not fulfilled at all yet. So the idea behind We Happy Few is this dystopian version of the 60s in England, and you play a mindless drone who's in this dystopian world, living, w- doing a very monotonous job at the beginning. If you've seen the trailer uh, at E3, that's exactly how the early access version starts, is you're sort of processing, uh, redacting things from newspapers in a very, you know, 1984-esque way. And uh, you ha- are taking this pill called your joy, which makes sure that you're happy all the time. And everybody in the world has these clown faces and they're always smiling. And at the beginning of the game, you have the option to not take your joy. And if you don't take your joy, you start seeing the world as it really is, which is disgusting and grimy and awful. And they find out that you haven't taken your joy. And so you get chased and you escape out into the real world, which is this broken down, decrepit, you know, ghetto of a uh, streets. And everything is procedurally generated once you get to that point. So the beginning part, that story beat, which is what the E3 demo was, or the E3 um, – trailer was which was incredible which is incredible it still is incredible it's cool to play it too uh it feels very bioshocky it feels very story based it's like oh my gosh we're gonna play another kind of bioshock heavy narrative experience and then 
that you play through that and then that's it. Like that there's no nothing else like that in the game. So it's very misleading in a lot of ways. It's not really the game I thought it was going to be, but the game it is is a survival game where you have a lot of meters that you need to feed, including food. You need to feed yourself, you need to stay hydrated, you need to sleep, you need to not die. So there's all these meters that you're constantly checking on to make sure that you're not going to perish. Uh and the feeding of those meters isn't particularly fun. It's just sort of rote, like I need to do this thing to make sure that my meter doesn't go down. And the world is weird. Like you walk up to people and you can talk to them, but your guy just says non sequiturs and they respond with non sequiturs. So there's not really any reason to talk to anybody. You know, you say things like the bird chirps at dawn and they'll be like, I'm wearing pants. You know, it's, it's not, there's no, it's nothing. It's just this weird feeling of, disquiet you know it's very odd and um and then you sort of people attack you for weird reasons and there's just not much there yet and so um i'm actually a little bit disappointed that i even played this early access because i feel like it has changed my expectations for this game in a negative way and uh i wish that i had a sort of fresh experience with it when it was actually released and so i could not have this baggage of having played a kind of less than version. So I would, I would advise people to stay away from this early access version of we happy few. Yeah. I, you told me that off, like after you played it and I feel like it's a shame. I mean, I hopefully the game is great, but I, I, I guess like Tim, if you were given the opportunity to show something on the biggest stage at E3, it would maybe be misleading to what your final product is or people might think it's misleading, would you Would you take that stage? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to show the most compelling part of whatever it is you're showing, um, even if it is a little bit misleading. And I'm guessing, you know, in interviews and in other media opportunities, probably these guys tried to clarify exactly what the nature of the game was, and we're probably very transparent about that. But ultimately, when you've got 90 seconds on the big stage, there's only so much you can show. Yeah. Um, so I can, I, can, I can understand how that could have come to pass. All right. Well, I'm very excited to talk uh, VR with Tim Stevens. So let's get to that. Um, the voting has taken a turn. Christian, after you played two of the competing bumper <laughs> musics overlapping last week, I think it really motivated people to have a clear winner. <laughs> so uh, Sean Madigan has leaped out ahead. It was a it was a um, it was a dead heat with him and Brian Boggess for for the uh, bumper music. But Sean Madigan's bumper. Uh, is the clear winner with this week, so that's what we will play to start VR Talk. All right, Tim, I'm excited because um, I have heard that Dirt Rally is like the experience for VR right now. I'm not a driving game guy, but you are. You're an actual driving guy. Uh, and you actually do real dirt rallies, right? Yeah, I have done rallies. Uh, I do ice racing, which is kind of a similar thing, just with uh, less grip and with more cars to crash into. And uh, I've been playing rally games for a long, long time, since the original Colin McRae, which is kind of the the predecessor of uh, – the spiritual predecessor of this game. And, uh, yeah, I was – this is probably the number one game I was excited about uh, when I got my Oculus and I've been waiting for that patch to come out that would finally add Oculus support, which it finally came out um, a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, I've been playing the game like mad and loving it since then. It's um, it's a game I can only play for about an hour at a time because it is very intense. Uh, you know, rallying is 
you know, you're, you're basically driving as fast as you can down dirt roads between, you know, very narrow roads that are unpaved or icy or snowy with trees flying by and any little tiny mistake means you wrap your car around a tree and that's game over pretty much. Um, so it's very intense. You got to be very focused. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. It's, it's fantastic. I've watched a lot of videos. Are you that- playing with oh, sorry. the... Oh, sorry. Are you playing with the wheel or with the Xbox controller? Yes. So I, um, I used to be really big into sim racing, uh, iRacing racing in particular, uh, which is one of the, which is also on Oculus and also fantastic on Oculus. Um, so I had a, a, a nice, um, fanatic, uh, Porsche wheel setup, and they have a, a set of high end pedals called the, the, uh, club sport pedals. So yeah, I'm using a full wheel and pedal setup. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm coming over. I, <laughs> yeah, come on over, man. Uh, so I have, I have many questions about this. Um, I watched, <laughs> I watched some videos because I'm, it's $60. It's like full experience. It's a full game. I just know that I, it's not for me. I'm not going to enjoy it. I want to try it just to have the VR experience, but I just, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to play it cause I'm not that guy, but I've watched a bunch of videos and I, I love the, like there's a dude sitting next to you. who's just like 1000 meters turn 1000. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, what is, how, First of all, what is, how does the VR application, how good is it? How bad is it? You probably played, you know, a lot of these games, as you said, in 2D. Does the VR add something? Is it, is it the, your preferred way of playing this now? Yeah, for sure. It's not as good at implementation as I've seen in, in like Eve, for example. When you're playing Eve and you move around and you look down, your body kind of tracks your head. So you're always, you know, you're never losing that that feel of immersion. Mm-hmm. In in Dirt, it's not that good. It, as the, the body is basically a static torso, effectively. So you can actually move your head back and look down your neck, um, things like that, ah. which is a bit of a bummer. <laughs> and you can even put your head out through the window of the car, and which you shouldn't be able to do either. So... In that, in you know, the technical implementation of VR, it's not ideal, but it does add a huge amount to the game, especially when you are in um, really tight rallies, um, things that have a lot of really tight corners. Because when you're racing through the turn, when you're trying to get quickly through a turn, you're supposed to look past the apex down the road. Um, and even, you know, I have a, a double monitor setup that's wide. So I can kind of see wider. You can't really look as far down the road as you need to, especially going to a hairpin corner or something like that. When you should really be looking out the side of the car, you can't really do that in a sim unless you're using one of the. They have some IR head tracking things that you can get, which will kind of change your perspective. Um, so it does add a lot to the game. It makes the game a lot easier because you can look down the road. You can actually see where you're going. And it makes it just hugely more immersive, of course, because you can look right. And yeah, you can see your co-driver who's sitting right there. You can even see his pace notes that he's written down Crazy. on the notes. It's kind of nonsense that's scribbled on there, unfortunately. But uh, it does make like the game the so much step, more exciting. Though. Like we get to play together and I'm your co-pilot. Yeah, I think that would actually be really awesome to have this co-op VR rally experience where you you go through the stage together, you develop the pace notes together, and then you do it at speed. I think, <laughs> I think the passenger would just constantly throw up. You have no control, and you're just sitting there as somebody else zips you through the world in VR. I would just be like, ah, yeah. (laughs) It also adds a big part to the act of unlocking cars. You know, it's always cool in these games to get a big collection of cars and try out different cars, but to actually feel like you're sitting in this different car than before, you know, the cockpits have always changed. That's nothing new, but to actually be able to get in there and look around and see, Oh, this one's got a fire extinguisher mounted on a seat to the right of me, or, you know, there's this gauge cluster in this car versus another one, all these details that you don't necessarily notice. But when you actually are able to get in the car and look around, it makes the process of unlocking these cars a lot more meaningful for me anyway. Uh, So I feel like I'm, 
more attached to the cars that I'm unlocking. And it feels like I have more incentive to unlock more cars rather than in Gran Turismo where you just get dozens of cars and, and ultimately it becomes kind of meaningless yeah. eventually. Yeah, even in Forza, just on 2D Forza with like the cockpit view, getting a new car is so much more fun because like, oh, look at that. Look at the, look at the yeah, yeah. Um, I got a chance to play Project Cars. I don't know if you've played that one, but um, the VR implementation of that uh, was pretty intense. And I was a little bummed because it sort of forced, it allows you to mess with more settings in project cars mm-hmm. than most VR games do. But even so I kind of tried to crank everything up and uh, even my beefy system, although I don't have the newest NVIDIA card because one comes out every freaking week now, but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to, you know, I had to compromise a lot of the visuals in that game to get, uh, usable VR frame rates that didn't make me a little nauseated. Uh, but I hear Dirt is actually gorgeous in VR. They say it's one of the showcase VR games. Yeah, it's in terms of, you know, texture quality and that kind of thing, I don't think it's, it's phenomenal, but in terms of the overall experience and the detail in the environments, and of course, you know, the whole idea is that you're just cruising through natural. Uh, natural environments. And some of these are real stages. I've actually visited um, the Coltrini in Italy, for example, which is one of the most famous rally stages in the world. And as I was rallying on that stage, I recognized where I had been watching that stage from when I was there wow. earlier this year. So that's it's pretty cool that they actually got it accurate enough that I could recognize this one stretch of this random road in Italy, effectively. Uh, but it, it runs really well. I'm running uh, a GTX 1070. So Pretty on the high end, but not the highest of high end. And it runs great on my machine with everything cranked up. So awesome. it runs quite well. Uh, any other VR games you want to mention at this point? Uh, I've also been playing iRacing, which I mentioned before. That's one of the most hardcore driving simulators on the market right now. There's, you know, once you get into the topic of race sims, there's an endless debate about who has the most realistic tire model and and so on and so forth. So I won't say it's the most realistic, but it's it's in the top couple anyway. Uh, and that game is really hardcore. If you're looking to actually get into racing and improve yourself on the circuits, um, that's a great place to go. They added VR support pretty much right when the CV1 shipped, which is great. Uh, and that, again, adds a lot because, again, you're, you're in the cockpit now. You can look through the apex. So you can do a lot of things that you would do in the car if you're trying to get faster in this game as well. And, and so that's a fantastic experience, too. I had the opportunity uh, to go in, to uh, North Carolina and interview a um, NASCAR Xfinity Series driver for a, a thing I did for GameSpot for um, uh, the new Forza NASCAR expansion. Mm. And I sat down with him, and he had never played Forza before. And I handed him a controller, <laughs> not a steering wheel. This was a controller. Uh-huh. And he played on what they call the unbeatable difficulty level. And mm-hmm. he was blowing the AI out of the water. Ne- had never played it be- because <laughs> the, the fundamental skill set is just the same. It just works. Mm-hmm. And even though he was playing with a stick and not a steering wheel, he was able to do it immediately. I was just so blown away by that. And it, it's proof that, you know, driving is a thing and they model it really, really well. And if you know how to do it, you know what you're doing. Yeah. It's really impressive how much you can learn. And especially with um, Nissan doing the GT Academy thing where Gran Turismo drivers can get the opportunity to go racing and actually do really well. I was at, I was lucky enough to go to Le Mans last year and spoke with a lot of the drivers who had gotten that opportunity because of Gran Turismo. And that's pretty amazing to think that, that there were multiple people in the paddock racing the 24 hours of Le Mans who were there exclusively because they were really good at, at a video game. Uh, and that's, wow. that's amazing. That is amazing. It's the future. I mean, that's, that's wild. Um, yeah. Okay. So I just want to warn everybody. I'm about to go a little crazy. 
because uh, I had a chance to try the Dota 2 VR spectator mode. Mm. And guys, this is a paradigm shift. This is the future. I am so blown away by this. It needs to be in every game. Let me explain why. So Dota 2, obviously a MOBA. It's not a MOBA I'm familiar with. I've literally never played Dota before. I I dabbled a little in League of Legends, but I'm very much a Heroes of the Storm devotee. Uh, So this isn't a game that I even would watch, but now I think I want to learn Dota, guys, just for this. So here's what you do. You you, You put on the headset, you go into VR spectator mode, and you are now sitting in a massive arena with a giant what looks like movie theater screen sized version of the game playing in front of you. So it's massive. To your perspective, it feels like you're in a giant, you know, drive-in movie theater and you have tons of other information there. So the game that you're observing, you're watching other people play Dota. The game you're observing is on that big screen, giant size. And to your left and to your right, there are what looked like, you know, um, Greek god statue versions of the all the champions that the players are playing as. Uh, and it has their stats, their health, the talents that they've chosen, the items that they've purchased, all displayed. So you have you look left, you see one team in a you know a row of sort of awesomely sized statues on pedestals with all their stats and stuff. And you look to the other side and you see the other teams, you know, all this stuff. So you have all the information there at any point you can look back and forth. Also in front of you, just below the screen is like a, a map of that you would see in the game of the terrain sort of abstracted, but where all the you know players are at any given point. So you can look at that map and see stuff. You have all kinds of other information displayed around the, the virtual room that you're in, a virtual arena that you're in. It's gigantic and massive and everything has a place because you just turn your head and you can see that information. It's all in three dimensions. It's all physical. Like the the champions are big and awesome and look cool and you see them get injured and you see all this stuff happening in real time. That would be enough. That would be already, I think, a game changer and make me want this in every esports kind of experience. But that's not it. Then... On that map that you're looking at, the sort of the abstracted map, it says click here to jump into the map. So you click there, and now you're in the game that's being played. You are inside the world of the Dota game, hovering above it. And you see all of the topography of the map, the trees and volcanoes and rivers and everything, in three dimensions like the world's greatest train set. It is, it is a, a, you're hovering above this tiny world that's like the, the greatest little diorama version. And the game is being played all around you. Uh, minions are running out and attacking towers and champions are running by and slinging spells. And it is all three-dimensional and all around you and it's incredible. And you have in your hands, you know, your two Vive controllers uh, and they have little instructions on them. They have little uh, menu items on them. One of which is change your size in relative to in relative to the world. So you can become gigantic and look down on the world and see a much bigger 
version uh, or sorry much smaller in relation to you a version of that map so you're sort of farther away and you can see more of it and it looks even more like a little diorama world with little things running around a little train set type of thing or you can go the other direction and get down to your one-to-one size with all of the champions so it's like you're standing next to the champions fighting one another and you're able to teleport around move around however you want be on what side or whatever there's a specific button that'll like shoot you right to where the action is at that given moment but you don't have to be where the action is you can be on a, a, a little corner of the map you walk up to the little merchant that sells items in dota and he looks incredible in three dimensions and you're the same size as he is and it's like you're in this world with this guy or there's just minions that are off doing their own thing because that's how the game works it you know they're just they just automatically attack. So you just hang out and watch catapults catapulting a thing and you're standing right next to it. There's three different levels of size that you can be. And it's amazing. But that's not even the all. That would be another level of amazing. The third thing that blew my mind is while I'm doing that, while I'm roving around watching this professional esport happening, watching other people play Dota, Other people are also watching in virtual reality with me. We all have our little, uh, a little um, avatar that we've selected. That's a head. And you see everybody else's heads wandering around the environment. And so, and, and I see their controllers and we can look at each other and we can wave at each other. And, oh, if I push a button on my controller, it opens the mic and I can talk to each other. We can hang out watching somebody else play a video game and talk to one another and see one another. We have different heads that you can select from the menu. You can communicate when they become larger to change their perspective. I watch their head get bigger. I watch them zip around the environment so I can see where they are looking at stuff. If a guy's like, oh my gosh, come over here and check this out. I just teleport over to him and hang out. We are hanging out in a virtual space, watching other people play a video game in 2D on their home computers able to just be in that world and it looks amazing i i can't even it was the most incredible viewing experience of a video game i've ever had in my life it is complete game changer i want this for heroes of the storm so badly i can't even tell you guys and this was on vive Vive. i mean it's a you know dota is a valve product you know htc vive is a valve joint so uh it's i think the most impressive part is maybe the graphical fidelity of what's running in this game that you didn't really see before. Like it was never an ugly game, but you know, to be up close and personal and be walking around in these trenches and peaks and valleys and have them be real and know that it's not running like some shortcut. It's really just a, you know, a picture that you're playing on or whatever is, is I think very, very fascinating. Guys, it was it was incredible. I, I'm watching a game I don't even understand, and I'm just hanging out talking to people. There was a guy who was like amateur casting it and just talking about all the stats. And you can pop back into that lobby where you have all the information, and it's in that 2D, you know, giant movie screen, and pop back into the world anytime. There's no lag. There's no, everything worked smoothly. It all looked gorgeous. It felt, it felt like a real world that I was in, this three-dimensional cartoon Dota world. It, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And you'll be able to buy custom heads of course. and some <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's so smart. And they're gonna, right? they're gonna uh, do the uh, the international this way. The big, you know, which just yeah. broke another record for the amount of money they're raising to, as, in the prize pool. Uh, so you'll be able to watch the you know the biggest games like this. I'm sure they'll have 
different rooms so that not everybody will be in the same, you know, chat. <laughs> it's just all you can see are little yeah. heads floating yes. around. <laughs> it, it was something else, man. I am sold on this being the future completely. I just, yeah. I hope Blizzard it's, is listening. It's pretty exciting to think about the potential there when you can start to bring together you know, esports together with, you know, the, the aspiration of playing it yourself, of course, but also the enjoyment of watching other people play. And, and, you know, that's the kind of access that people haven't traditionally had in traditional sports world. Sure, you can watch baseball games on TV or whatever, and now you can get multiple angles and you can watch replays and things like that. But never, ever are you going to have that kind of control through a traditional sports venue. So to have that, you know, in your in your den, in your living room or wherever, that that's really, really exciting. Yeah, can you imagine watching an NFL game like that to be able to just like be a giant floating head and go wherever you want and look whatever at whatever you think is interesting? Well, I think what you're going to get with it as the camera technology gets gets there is, you know, there's like six of these things, right? Like the, the one floating over, like the mm-hmm. sky cam is a VR cam. Then there's like one on each pylon or in the end zone. And then the referee, instead of wearing his dumb little referee cap cam, like uh, the the whatever, I don't know, football names of umps, but the one that's right there in the middle of the play all the time that gets hit by running backs as they break through the hole, like that, <laughs> that ump has a 360 VR cam on them that you can pop in and out of it's going to be insane well, I think, you know far future down the line you know several years i can imagine some sort of tech where the, the a multiple camera angles just extrapolate the data in real time and create 3d mm-hmm. models so that you are you are literally just completely have the same freedom you do in dota so that they're it's literally creating a 3d model of all the actual human players on a nfl team and i can just wander around zip in and out and it's not tied to any particular camera it's just because the the system is extrapolating all that data and creating a 3d model of the game in real time that'd be awesome yeah Anyway, so cool. Uh, all right, uh, let's <laughs> do a cigarette, Jeff. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm telling you guys, it was it was an amazing experience. I just I'm, I love living in this future that we're in. Um, let me thank. Speaking of the future, let me thank uh, our sponsor who allows us to have one <laughs> future, uh, and that is Linode is our other sponsor. Linode is a hosting company featuring high performance Linux servers for all your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now Linode offers two gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including this network. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is so easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today to support this show and use promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. linode.com slash 5x5. Simple, powerful, reliable. All right, guys. Uh, let's uh, carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Tabletop time. Tabletop time. I want to start tabletop time by uh, reading an email that was sent to a DLC feedback at gmail.com. You can always send us emails about any section of the show. Uh, we love hearing that feedback, DLC feedback at gmail.com. This comes from Doug. He says, uh, guys, I just had a chance to play Descent by Fant- uh, Final Fantasy. 
can't speak English, fantasy flight games using the Road to Legend app. Don't know if you've heard of it, but it runs the campaign for you, letting you play solo or the smaller group. It doesn't manage any die rolls or specific movement, but it handles the map and events that happen, including some decent flavor text. It gives general direction during combat, like have a monster group attack you and a certain character use a specific action. It also handles XP and loot for the campaign, and as someone who struggles to get a game night together, and even more so for a complex game, this app is great, it's free, but requires you to have the physical game. I think it might be good to give a mention during tabletop time. So thanks for sending that, Doug. Um, Again, it's called Road to Legend. Uh, It's a great way to play Descent, which is an awesome dungeon crawler. Uh, I'm going to check that out. I haven't had a chance to yet, but thanks for the tip, Doug. I hope that's helpful to people. Um, Tim, have you played any tabletop games? Yeah, my friends and I just uh, broke out XCOM, the board game, over the past weekend. Uh, oh. It's not, uh, not the, the hottest or latest board game, but um, I haven't played it in a while, and uh, it's one of my favorites. I, I like it a lot. It's a really interesting mix of uh, an app-based gameplay plus tabletop gameplay, and I'm a huge fan of the XCOM series. I've been for a long time. Um, so to be able to do that in a co-op way with friends, um, it's, it's, it's a, f- a really fun game. I, I definitely enjoy it. So uh, it was good to play that over the weekend. We, we tend to play a lot of settlers together. It's hard to break it on that rut. Nothing wrong with that. But I finally kicked out of that. Settlers is a great that. game. Um, Christian and I had a chance to play XCOM the board game one, only once, but we, we found it a little frustrating. We, we thought our head was too in the app too often. We wanted to be sort of out of the app a little more. Um, but I'm glad you're having a good time with it. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thing, especially when you are trying to remember how to play it and there's timers counting down and things like that. Yeah. But most of the action happens, um, there's a timed portion of the gameplay and an untimed portion. And most of the action, thankfully, happens in the untimed portion. So you kind of have to go through the procedural stuff with the app, which does some random stuff to make the game more interesting. And then you step out of that and you can get into the combat and the shooting UFOs and things like that. And that's when it gets a little bit more interesting, I think. Cool. Uh, I had a chance to play the Pathfinder adventure card game, finally. I've, been, I've owned it for a while and I had, had a chance to play it. Uh, this is based on the Pathfinder role-playing game series, which is sort of an offshoot of Dungeons & Dragons, if people are not familiar. It's a very successful role-playing game system, but um, it's sort of when Dungeons & Dragons went to... Uh, the 4.0 rule set, a lot of people were frustrated that it had kind of dumbed itself down a little bit. And I think Pathfinder was a place a lot of people fled to because it it's a little more complex and it keeps a lot of that fiddliness of, of the earlier versions of Dungeons and Dragons and has more, mm-hmm. you know, sub rules and restrictions on what you can carry and what you can learn and all that stuff. Um, I, I played, a, I DM'd a few Pathfinder games and I found it all those things to be a little bit of a turnoff to me personally, but I was excited to play the adventure card game because it takes that universe, that mythology of Pathfinder and that, that rule set and accomplishes pretty much everything that the role-playing game does, but in a card system, it's only cards and you don't have any need for a dungeon master. You can, the game does that for you. So I was very excited to play it. Uh, the The downside is that I think it's really built for people. If the thing that draws you to role playing games is the combat mechanics, this is the game for you. If if you're like, all I want to do is just run into a dungeon and kill stuff, and and use the you know roll dice, hack and slash, you use magic, do all the fun things in a role playing game, and just combat it up. I think Pathfinder Adventure Card Game does that really, really well. But if you're like me and the things you like about role-playing games 
are the, you know, the story and the improvisation and all that, you know, that kind of stuff. Obviously this isn't going to do that, but it even doesn't do the sort of bare minimum of story. There's, it, it is very, very slight on, on any story. Basically the way that the game works is there are a variety of locations that are represented by stacks of cards and you're going to those locations and trying to find a big bad guy to kill. There's a, you know, a, a bandit destroying the land or a dragon causing havoc or goblins or whatever it is, depending on the scenario you're playing. But they're all the same in that there's a big bad and it's hidden in the deck somewhere, hidden in one of those decks somewhere, and you got to find it. So you go, you, you, as you and your teammates uh, can either all go to one place or you can split up and go to multiple places and try to find this bad guy. Meanwhile, the game has got a, a countdown mechanic, so you have a limited amount of time to do that. So you have to finish, find him and smite him before the countdown timer reaches the last card in the deck. But, which would all be fine and good and cool, except that when you find him, even if you beat him, he will flee to another location unless you have closed off all of the locations for him to flee to. So you have to go around to all the locations and close them off by finding another item in that deck and defeating that before you can even kill the bad guy. So if you just randomly, luckily went to the right location and found the guy and he was, you know, shallow in that deck and you came upon him and you actually managed to manage to defeat him. It's very unsatisfying because, Oh, he just fled to another area. So game's not over. Keep going. And you just sort of went, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wash, rinse, repeat that process. And I was pretty disappointed by that, to be honest with you. It was very unsatisfying to feel like, well, we kind of don't even want to find this guy right now because the most important thing to do is close off all these locations so that he can't flee. So like it, the whole goal becomes secondary for the first part of the game. And if you find him early on, it's like, okay, well, I guess we fight him, but we can't even possibly defeat. I mean, if we defeat him, it doesn't even do anything right now. So it just felt a little flat and the mechanics are really fun. You're still rolling dice, even though it's a card game. You still roll dice based on your abilities, and it's got all those fun pathfindery little skills that, that do things. And the art is really great. And there's, you know, it, it accomplishes a lot as a card game. Just ultimately, I felt like the main goal felt a little hollow because I wasn't able to accomplish it. You know, it just kind of keeps kind of putting me off. So that was my experience with the Pathfinder Adventure card game. Yeah, do you, have you ever played uh, like D and D or role playing games, Tim? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I was um, very much into D and D, Ravenloft, mm. and Dragonlance were my two uh, flavors of choice. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, I spent I spent a fair bit of time in that. I was more into um, more into BattleTech though. Was, that was my RPG of choice, which is more much more of a combat focus. Oh rad! Sure. Yeah, I never played BattleTech. Uh, that's that's old school. That's awesome. Um, All right, guys, let's wrap up the show now. We do have our parting gift coming up, uh, so stick around for that. And also, there's some bonus content. I twisted Christian's arm, and we uh, recorded a little bit of extra content about an interesting topic that I want to talk about on my birthday. So stick around at the end of the show for that as well. Uh, But I do want to thank Tim Stevens for being here. Uh, This was awesome. Really, really cool stuff. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, this was a pleasure. I um, Yeah, like I said before, I got my start in uh, journalism, doing game reviews. So it's awesome to talk about games. Yeah, it was awesome having you. Um, but the stuff you're doing now is really cool too. Why don't you give people a way to follow you and, and find that work? 
Yeah, uh, all the Roadshow content, all of our car reviews and videos, all that good stuff is available at theroadshow.com. And I'm probably best found on Twitter at uh, Tim underscore Stevens. Awesome. Oh, you know what? You know what I didn't mention in the VR segment, Christian? Is Christian still here? Mm-hmm. That you, I forgot <laughs> I to even mention that. Sounded like you was in a. I was gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna reveal that uh, you are one of us. One of us. I forgot to even mention that. Well, I'm. I'm not yet. Yeah, I, I thought about you jumping in, and but I don't have anything to contribute until next week. That's big week's news, show. dude. That's have, big news for this yeah, show. Congrats. I'll have something to contribute. Well, I had a PlayStation VR pre-ordered since day yeah. zero. But now you're canceling and, um, 60 feet in the ass. Um, i do have 60 pairs of dope nikes though (laughs) to fill those feet um (laughs) yeah uh, i'll talk about it more next week but uh i think wednesday my oculus will will show up so i actually just copied you straight up i got the same fancy desk chair you have and i'm gonna make a nice little holding system for my vr headsets i just want to be like i just want to be little canada yeah man happy to (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. I'm very excited that we'll be talking Oculus uh, going forward. So that's really exciting for me. Uh, you know, so we got we got uh, how to find Tim. How I didn't interrupt you uh, while you were doing that. Um, but Christian, what's going on with uh, you this week? Yeah, the best way is, is Twitter at Spicer to keep in touch and see LA. I'm in a, I'm in town. I'm in LA for a while now, and um, those shows you kind of don't know about sometimes until the day of. <laughs> so Twitter's the easiest way for that. I've mentioned it throughout this episode, but I stream, you know, more than I used to. Not super consistent. I'm not certainly like any of the people that we hung out with at this uh, Mountain Dew thing Jeff and I did last week, where 10-hour days and 300-hour months. Insane, the amount of work that these people do. They are all very talented. But if you want to see my streams, it's uh, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And all that stuff exists as well, archived long term on my youtube page which is christian spicer 713 that's also where you can find the where i ate those uh 13 hot cheese curds (laughs) video and some other stuff that isn't streamed per se like uh my family and i playing rock band and then some comedic sketches and stuff like that is over at youtube and um i do a parenting podcast departmentofparenting.com is where you can find that it comes out tuesdays and thursdays i think this tuesdays is going to be one of the most serious ones we've ever done, so I fully expect to <laughs> lose <laughs> some listeners. We had an e- uh, a listener write in with an email. We usually do one article and then one listener question or comment or whatever, but we had a listener come in with a bunch of great comments. We devoted the whole episode to them, and it was about politics and religion, and Chris and I just kind of talked about how we honestly feel, which I know is a, a trigger for some people. So, But anyway, that is Department of Parenting. Jeff, on your, your birth week... Well, what are you doing? What's going on? Well, I have several shows that people can check out. I'm doing the Slash Filmcast. Uh, this week we'll be talking about Jason Bourne, the new Bourne movie. And uh, you can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. Also, I'm on CNET. Is that a prequel to uh, Jason? Like, yeah, it's is that Jason's Jason X. Like, where does it fall? Yeah, he's, it's a tiny <laughs> okay. baby with a hockey mask. It's adorable. Um, <laughs> Important details. <laughs> Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, it's okay. I'm on CNET on a show called Tomorrow Daily, which you can find at tomorrowdaily.com. And I do We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I really appreciate everybody who sent kind birthday wishes to me today. It's so overwhelming. You try to you know respond to everybody, but there's a, there's a lot, which is really, really kind. And I'm not able to respond to each every, everybody individually, but I appreciate all of you who have sent kind things on Facebook and Twitter and email. It's, it's really, really nice, and I appreciate it very much. Um, 
All right, guys, let's uh, let's wrap the show up with uh, giving people a little bit of a parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Tim, do you have a uh, recommendation for something people can do to get through their week that might not be a video game? Might not be a video game. Uh, well, obviously, go for a drive. I mean, uh, hopefully, if if people are in an area where they um, be on a car, uh, I think it's it's great to go out and and go for a drive. If you can't, then uh, go find some woods and walk through them. That always works. Love for me. it, Christian. How about you? You got a parting gift for the folks? I probably said it before, but I will say it again. I think now is an important time to be doing it. Um, John Oliver, last week tonight with John Oliver. I'm liberal. I'm I'm not going to sit here and hammer people with my ideology or political views, but um, I think in terms of comedy and smarts and the writing and the delivery, John Oliver, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver on HBO is the best thing on television. And if you have maybe avoided it, check it out. He also does a good job of posting the long bits on his YouTube page, on the show's YouTube page. You can always see like the big story of the week on their YouTube page as well. And I think during the political season, comedy does it so well they handle it so well so another recommendation for yeah i think Donald we're going to start um giving people the link to vote uh at the top of every show i meant to do that this week and i overlooked it with all my birthday talk but um you can you can register to vote at vote.org it's so easy um and i had a guy this week tell me that uh i should just shut up and start talking stop talking about that stuff and only talk about video games so in response to that we're going to talk uh we're going to recommend you register to vote every episode now because of that guy so um, I think it's important. I think in order to have, be a citizen in the world, you should uh, you know have the responsibilities as long as uh, alongside the fun. And uh, yeah, and Jeff won't tell you how to vote on this show. I will. <laughs> no, I'm tell you how to vote. But I, I I will say this: there's there's one group of people that want fewer people to vote, and there's one group of people that want more people to vote. I'm in favor of more people voting. So let's make that happen. Vote. Uh, anyway, that's not my parting gift. My parting gift is, uh, I mentioned I had my, my nephews in town. And by the way, uh, you know, you think that um, VR, <laughs> they tried VR for the first time, my 11 and 6-year-old nephews. One of the things, Vive in particular, a little uh, thing for parents, if you, you know, it's not supposed to be for under 12, but... The Vive only works if there's not a mess around, right? You gotta have a clear area. Kind of an incentive to keep pick up stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, oh yeah, you guys want to play the Vive? Got to clean up. Got to clean up the room. So because uh, they were staying in the room where my Vive is. Anyway, uh, I also took them to uh, downtown Los Angeles to see the Endeavor. Uh, the space shuttle Endeavor is now housed in the Science Center here in Los Angeles, and my goodness, was that an amazing experience. It was inspiring. It was thrilling. It, it was proof to me that America is great, uh, that we can accomplish something that to send people to space and bring them home safely in a, in a m- machine, the size and scale and scope of the spatial endeavor to stand underneath it and look at it. My goodness, was it incredible. And how they managed to bring it here to Los Angeles. There's a video you see at the, at the center that shows them taking it down city streets. Uh, the amount of planning it took just for that, let alone sending it to space. Um, I, I would highly recommend, um, you know, 
trying to find something in your area of similar inspiration. It's a, it's easy right now to get depressed by the news and to feel like the world's in turmoil, but there is so much to be excited about and hopeful for and inspired by all around. Uh, museums are a great place, and I certainly, you know, refilled my soul a little bit by going to the California Science Center and seeing Endeavor and being reminded that what we can do when we, we come together and, and believe in something greater than ourselves, it's pretty cool. So I will leave you guys with that note. Um, again, uh, thanks to Tim Stevens and Christian Spicer for hanging out here on my birthday with me talking video games. So much fun. Uh, thanks to uh, everybody that sent us emails or hung out in our chat room. You guys helped make the show great. We really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you who have downloaded. We appreciate those kind reviews on your platform of choice and telling a friend about the show. Please do that too. All right, we'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Hey everybody, welcome to a little bonus content on this, my birthday episode. Because it's my birthday episode, I wanted to chat with Christian about something that I care a lot about. And uh, it's actually something that we talked a lot about uh, during our big um, Buffalo Wild Wings Mountain Dew live stream because we had so many MOBA uh, streamers on to talk to. And I kept bringing up this idea of MMR hell, or in League of Legends, it's ELO hell. This idea that in ranked matches you get trapped in a certain um, in a certain rank in a certain you know you're matched with other players of a certain rank and you're you're trapped there because you can't really move up uh, because of the people that you're paired with and it feels very frustrating and a lot of people complain about it that they feel like they are better than the skill level of the players they're played with but they can't progress out of that because of of the match, the matches that they're placed in, the players right. that they're playing with, and I think to people that maybe don't um, do MOBAs play, it's kind of you know it, you can be um, uh, Westbrook <laughs> on the Oklahoma City Thunder now, and it doesn't matter how good you play, you're not going to make the it rest back. of the Oklahoma City Thunder with you. Yeah. One one superstar less of the rest of the Oklahoma City Thunder on your team now, yes. Well, I'm glad you framed it that way. Uh, and I do think this applies to any kind of multiplayer game. So even if you're not into MOBAs, hopefully you take something out of this conversation because I think it, it applies to any kind of multiplayer game. And just the idea of matchmaking, because I've gotten so much into Heroes of the Storm, matchmaking, I think, is a fascinating problem that designers are always tackling in, in interesting ways. And, and I'm glad you framed it that way because this this thing I wanted to bring up with you is exactly that idea. So there is this Russian streamer, this Russian Twitch streamer named Nostromia. And she is one of the best Heroes of the Storm players in the world. She's Grandmaster like 25 or something, like rated 25 in the world. Uh, incredibly skilled. So she decided what she would do on her Twitch stream over the next several months is take what they call a potato account, like a very low ranked account and go from the lowest rank you can have 
This isn't MMR. This is actual the the ranked system. So MMR is the sort of internal non-public facing number that you have that places you into matches that the computer uses, that Blizzard uses to place you into matches. And then your rank is the front-facing thing that you get to see that's shiny and bright and says what rank you are. And those are like bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, grandmaster. So she took a bronze five uh, account, which is the lowest you can be, and is trying to take it to grandmaster by only solo queuing. So that means she's only going into matches by herself just like I do and anybody else might. And this is exactly the thing that people complain about, right? Is right. I have myself, I can't be Westbrook on my team. Well, this is Westbrook. This is <laughs> yeah. one of the best players in the world, right? Doing it. So I find this fascinating. So there's a bunch of Reddit threads that I've been reading about this. I tweeted some of them over the weekend that are kind of outlining what she's doing, what she's accomplishing. It's a little tricky because she's Russian. And so her Twitch stream is, is in Russian. So a lot of people have had to, you know, sort of translate for me and other English speakers, what this is all about. But basically at this point, she is in, uh, I think she's silver two right now. She started at bronze five. So you go bronze five, bronze four, bronze three, bronze two, bronze one, silver five, silver two, I mean, silver five, silver four up like that. Right. Uh, and each of those takes several wins to, to go. So she had she had this a, a account that she took over that was tanked that was had only played about 50 games but Blizzard claims that 50 games is what it takes for the MMR to slot you correctly. And okay. she, she started winning. She's uh at 42 and 1 right now. So oh. by herself, <laughs> she's able to win 98% of the games she's played. Uh which is Kind of throws, you know, it throws in the face of of this idea that one person cannot <laughs> pull a team across the victory line because she's ninety eight percent win rate, which is insane. Uh, she's twenty four and one in bronze and forty and eighteen and zero in silver, but that has only brought her up. So winning forty two games and losing only one means she's only progressed from bronze five to silver two. So it's a very Whoa. slow process. Yeah, I hate to know how many games she's played on her 25 Grandmaster account. Yeah, a lot. A lot. <laughs> um, but the even crazier thing is that her MMR is still negatively impacting the um, the amount of points she gets in the rank system. So what, the, what Blizzard's system tries to do is find out where you are placed – And then keep you there, right? And say, okay, you belong in bronze. You're really bad at this game. So you belong in bronze. So even though you've been winning a lot, we're going to adjust the amount of points we give you negatively every time you win because we still think you're bad. So that's what's caused this big storm on Reddit is a bunch of people looking at this data and going, hey, Blizzard, your system doesn't even recognize that if you win 98% of your games – you're not as bad as the system thinks. It's still trying to go, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You're bad. This is all a fluke. Hmm. And it's sort of playing into this idea that even if you are wildly better than, than the MMR system thinks you are, the MMR system doesn't believe it. I'm wondering, and there might be more that will answer this, but I'm wondering if um, 
And again, I'm hearing all of this for the first time. So right. apologies if I'm just totally wrong on any of this. But like if she is playing the game wrong or not wrong, but, you know, she's taking over and Blizzard system is kind of thinking, hey, you're playing as Tracer. Tracer is supposed to do. And I just use Tracer because she's one of the few characters in the game whose name I know. Right. <laughs> um, um, and you're supposed to play this way with her. You're not supposed to kill all of the things and do all of the things that clearly must be luck or you're playing against a crappy team. Therefore my, you know, uh, 2001 space odyssey computer will <laughs> adjust you down. Well, there has been someone from blizzard that's come into this thread and posted a response. So clearly this is a massive outlier to the system. Like this doesn't happen. Somebody, right, right. A, a real person doesn't start out horrible for 50 games and then magically become one of the best players in the world. Right? So the system isn't built for this ever to happen because it shouldn't ever happen. Um, which is a, you know, a completely understandable and a, and a legitimate defense, I think, for this works. But what people are saying is it doesn't recognize quickly enough. And it, and it sort of is proof of this idea of MMR hell of like, I can improve my skills and the system is so slow in responding to it that it becomes, it's just a grind. It's just like, I have to play hundreds and hundreds of games to have a tiny effect on my MMR because I'm not going to ever have a 98% win rate, Right. I'm going to have, if I'm lucky, like a 60% win rate, just just above 50%. Because the system is attempting to get everybody at 50%. It's trying to match right. games equally. So you, you win half and you lose half. So if I'm doing a little bit better than 50%, I'm awesome. Like that, according to the system, I'm beating, it's beating the odds, right? But even at a 98% win rate, it's glacially slow to recognize that it should actually improve the thing that determines who you play with. Um, and the reason I wanted to bring it up to you, Christian, is because uh, I think every time I've, I've talked about this, the context that you put it in is like, um, Jeff, are you trying to become a grandmaster? Are you trying to – is the goal of playing ranked to get to the highest rank? Right. Right. Or I think uh, boiled down to why does it matter? Are you having fun playing the game? Then why does it matter? Right. And and my response to that is I, I'm not, tr I don't have any illusions that I am Nostromia level <laughs> or any of these guys, Grubby or any of these like top uh, tier players. I've read your fanfic. You have illusions. Of <laughs> well, I have, <laughs> yeah, I have massive fan fiction about it, but it is, I understand that it is fiction. I, I'm not under any. It was a cold winter day <laughs> in the outskirts of Mother Russia. Yeah. Jeff Kanata sat down to his computer powered by a hand crank. He spent the night powering. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful stuff. <laughs> it is beautiful stuff. And it's weird that I always said it in Russia, but it, it, it all makes kind of a sense. Uh, anyway, yeah. um, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not under any apprehension that I, you know, that I will ever be even diamond level, I think is out of my reach, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in silver, which is where most people are. It's the, it's the bulk of the people. It's sort of a bell curve, right? And most people live in the middle. Um, but I think I'm better than silver. And I think a lot of people think they're better than silver. And there's a post that I want to run by you that I think sums up perfectly how I feel about this system and why, like, I want to be in ranked because I want to feel like I can move up. And this is a post in that Reddit thread about Nostromia from a player who is, is top 200 in the world. So that's very, very good. So let me read it to you. It says, as top 200 grandmaster, MMR hell isn't that I am so much better I should be master grandmaster if I only didn't get placed with these scrubs. 
No, MMR Hell is playing at an individual skill level where you could easily function a tier or two above your current placement, but you're not strong enough to carry or carry often enough to make that big of a difference in the outcome of your match. I strongly believe luck in matchmaking plays a gigantic role in where people are placed and where they stay with their MMR. If it's in flux due to being a new account or a new season, that's a different story. For all people who start Smurfs, Smurfs are like intentionally lower ranked accounts so they can feel awesome by beating weaker people, uh, and then go on a streak and go above on their main accounts, I am sure there are plenty who go on losing streaks and are placed below. You just don't hear about their story on Reddit. So the reason I agree with that, it's like, what I want, I don't want, I'm not trying to get to be awesome. I just want to be like competitive and sort of able to move up a tier or two each season. And it seems like the system as it's built, and again, this is just in the context of, of Heroes of the Storm, but I hear ELO is the same in League of Legends and other games. It, you can't, like the, the system is working against you. And I wanted to get your opinion on like, is the most important thing to have multiplayer matches be competitive and be grouped with the right people or should the ranked system feel more fluid and have you be able to move up and move down? Like in your experience with Overwatch, I think a lot of the same issues are in that game. Do you, do you feel the desire to be able to rank up? Well, I'm not great at Overwatch in the sense that, you know, um, are you playing right? I'm not, uh, not much. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of, I don't have the time to, for it. You know, I'm, I'm the moth to the flame, right? I'm like, Ooh, uh, headlander. Ooh, uh, song of the deep. Ooh. Um, you know, whatever next, like overwatch is kind of my, Hey, got an hour of this dive in and play a game kind of thing. But I, I understand it. I totally understand it because I think it's the idea that you want to be recognized for your true skill. And I'm not trying to use Microsoft's, I think it was their true skill matchmaking, whoever used that word, but you know, you want your thing to represent what you really do. Like I ran track. I was very good at track, you know, many, many years ago and it would stink to go run a mile and know that you broke four minutes in the mile and then have the clock say five twenty. No, it's <laughs> and you're not like, even that. It's more like you broke four minutes in the mile, but you're on a relay team with guys who have a hard time breaking seven minutes in them or, you know, not even four, but like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's close to you, but it's well below you. And so you're constantly losing the relay because you are not, you're not a God, right? You're not Olympic level athlete. So maybe four minutes is a, a bad analogy, but you you have a really great relay time, right? You're awesome, but you're not awesome enough to make up for the rest of your team but you're be- if you were on a slightly better team, you would feel so right. much better because you're the right. best guy on your team, but you're not so much better than your team that you're better than the whole other team, <laughs> you know? Right. Like Nostromia yeah. is. Like clearly Nostromia is better than the entire other team by herself. Right. It's interesting. I, I understand the dilemma. I don't quite know what the fix is. And I almost wonder – Again, hearing you know a lot of this for the first time, aside from what we talked about with uh, the the MOBA players on the the Mountain Dew stream we did um, last week, but I wonder if the answer is to not have an outward facing number. I don't think so because I think people like you know seeing the 
progress bar, like that was one of the big changes to Destiny when they did Taken King, is that even after you hit max level, they showed your light progression happening. So you could yeah. still feel that, you know, it's that carrot in the stick kind of thing. But so I think they might lose a hook, but I wonder if from gameplay satisfaction, if it was just, it, it literally didn't list anything except for Grandmaster. Like once you, you know, just big, you made Grandmaster and they told you no way, like none of this data was out there. Would that be better or worse? Well, I think actually people clamor for the opposite. They want, they want the only inward facing number to be outward facing. They want MMR, which is hidden and is a private number that Blizzard uses. They want that to be outward facing. So they at least have the data. They want to go, okay, I'm only gaining or losing one or two points of MMR each match. I just want to know, you know, and it's going to be depressing to see it because one or two points of MMR does absolutely nothing for me. And to, to see, I mean, and I think that's Blizzard's position is like, this is not a number for you. <laughs> this is a number for us. And it's a number that we're trying to get as close to certain as we can. And, and as players, we're trying to mess with that number as much as we can. We're trying to bump it up as much as we can. And they don't, I, I, but, you know, uh, Dustin Browder, who's uh, you know lead designer on that game, has come out and said he thinks that they should have MMR be a public number so you know it. Um, huh. I just don't know if that would help or if that would make it even more depressing because it does – it would just shine a light on the grind and you would see. But here's – let me read more of this this post from this Grandmaster that I think is um, – brings up another point. And it's kind of what it, what stings so much. He says, people don't want to hear this. But master, grandmaster is freaking easy. The people are not gods. I am not a god either. The difference is that at this level, people make plays and decisions that make sense. So you have much more involvement in the success or failure of your team. Whereas in lower ranks, it's just a free-for-all where you constantly just hope someone will at least get to be where they need to be at a given time. And once they do get there, who knows what they'll do? Just give me an extra body for the love of God. Playing at this level is playing at the grandmaster level is actually fun because the game actually starts to make sense. I have a much stronger record since hitting grandmaster than I ever did back in platinum. That's interesting. I, I would love to see, and again, maybe it exists, but I would love to see that theory tested where you take how, how many people are on each team in Heroes? Five. Four on four? Five. Five on five. So you take four grandmasters and then you put a Jeff Kanata on each team. And, you know, that you do that for enough games, and I wonder if, if his tune would change at all. You mean, would I drag him down? Or would he be frustrated? Like, um, it is hard. Like, I, th- I think it's kind of, um, you know, so to make things personal, I think it's the easiest way to make an analogy. You know, people come up to me after a stand-up show, and, and they say things like, you're so brave, I could never do that. That is so hard. How do you do that? And to me, it's, I literally have to be doing this. <laughs> you know, I wish I like wish being, I could just... Here's the storm. I literally have to be doing it. <laughs> right, right. Or like watching you take on a character and dissect it, or watching you sing Prince. Um, <laughs> I, I can't sing. I love singing, but I am... I am tone hard of hearing, not full on tone deaf, but tone hard of hearing. But to ask you or someone else, like, how do you do that? Well, it's not as hard as you think. I, you know, learned the song and did the thing. And I'm wondering if it's just that I know he's played through all the levels and and grinded his way up there. But it's kind of this. I mean, we're not gods. No, dude, you are. I've watched you on ESPN. (laughs) You're a god. (laughs) Like. I mean, I think he certainly has more skill than I have. Like, I I don't know if I, you know, I don't have any, like I said, I don't 
convinced that I could be a grandmaster or even even diamond level. I just I'm I'm just not there. But I do believe the 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 thrust of what he's saying is if magically I was somehow placed in gold or even diamond. I mean, you know, or platinum, excuse me, platinum is above gold. Gold or platinum, I don't think the experience would be much different than where I am in silver. I think I could hang with a gold team and I could hang with a platinum team and I would win some and I would lose some and I would just sort of stay where I was. It's and it feel the reason it feels like MMR hell is because it's where I got placed. I got placed there and so I'm winning half and losing half and winning half and losing half and I'm just going to always stay there. If I had been placed a little higher, I would win half, I would lose half. I wouldn't I don't believe that I would drop from platinum to silver because I belong in silver. I think I would just be able to hang with a platinum team and I would lose some of those games because I did stupid stuff just like now. Uh, but I would love to, and I don't want to kickstart this and I don't know if it's possible or if Blizzard doesn't allow this. It's your birthday. Maybe I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I would love to buy you a platinum account and see what happens. Well, that is that is explicitly against Blizzard's terms of service. In fact, one of the, okay, one so of the things they talked pretend about... Pretend I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things they talked about with this Nostromia thing is like her taking on somebody's bronze account is technically against our terms of service anyway. I mean, they're not like doing anything to her, but... Um, I don't, but it's I, like to see... Because yeah, it's harder than to prove out these theories. Like, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but what's the... Um, oh, man, we're still... 20 minutes before we normally start recording. So my, my brain's still going. Um, uh, it's the phrase for when you think you're the best, but you're not the best. Um, Hubris. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of it. But the idea that you always think it's someone else's fault where, you know, like you're playing pickup basketball and you pass to someone and then you make a break for the hoop and they drain the three and you're still like, but dude, we are doing a pick and roll. God, oh, no one knows what I'm doing. Right. And it's like, no, dude. You're, you're the idiot. It's not, it's not your fault. Yeah. I mean, it's not their fault. Yeah. And, and everyone says, and that's the thing that we kept hearing when I was asking all of the great League of Legends streamers that we got to talk to this weekend or this last week. Um, and they all said, there's no such thing as ELO hell. There's no such thing as MMR hell. It's you, you play your game and you do what you can and you roll with the punches. And I, but I, I, you know, was thinking about that as I was reading all these Reddit posts. And I just think that what that guy said is the truth. It's, it feels like hell because you're, you're, you're better than where you are, but you're not so good that you can get to where mm-hmm. you should be. You know what I mean? And, um, and it's really fascinating to see somebody that is, it's proof that when you are like transcendently better than the people you're playing with, you can win 98% of your games. Like you, you literally can have that big of an impact in a, you know, you're one fifth of a team, but I'm not so much better than where I am. I'm not the, the, the disparity isn't as big for me. So I don't have that kind of an impact on my games and I am much more at the mercy of my teammates and I sort of just have to stick where I am. And it's a bummer and maybe it's, a lame thing to complain about. But I think, as you said, like, is it fun? That's the question. And for me, feeling like I can move up the ranks is the hook. It's that's what's fun is like, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm playing ranked because I want to feel like I can move up and showing all this data to prove that even if you're a god, movement up is glacially slow. It it kind of kind of hurts, got to say. Yeah, so I guess my last question for you is if they don't change things, like do you think this will ever be the reason you quit playing the game? 
No. The reason I quit playing the game will be because I have a child and I can't play it anymore. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know, I, I still enjoy it. And maybe, maybe actually this sort of futility of all of it will just take the, will take the pressure off and almost make it, make me just sort of get a little more Zen about it and be like, well, you know what? It wasn't going to, you know, even if winning, winning this game wasn't going to do much anyway. So the fact that we lost it isn't a big deal. I'll just try to, you know, be above 50% on my win rate and, you know, because you can see how many wins and how many losses you have. And so a lot of what I've done is just sort of transfer my goal to like, just be above 50% win rate, just stay above 50% Mm -hmm. and win more than you lose. And then you could sort of just be happy about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I I think I'm fortunate that I've never really been sucked in, um, (laughs) into like true competitive gaming for whatever reason that has never hooked me. Maybe it's because I had other competitive outlets or things to obsess over and gaming has kind of been my, ah, but it's also maybe why I spend most of my time playing narrative single player games. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I I thought it was an interesting discussion guys. You can find, uh, those, those threads on Reddit. Um, just search for Nostromia. Uh, I think it's pretty fascinating stuff, but uh, also a little bit disheartening. (laughs) Anyway, all right, we'll, uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.